Driving that coach. 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 Folks, to another edition of Dropping That Culture with JD and AJ. I'm JD. I'm AJ. All right. And uh, welcome to another week here in 2020, man. I uh, hope you guys are doing uh, good out there. Uh, I know it's still kind of rough with quarantine and all that good craziness. But uh, like I said, we're going to try to do our best to uh, keep uh, popping our shows. So, you guys, sorry that the show's a little bit late. Uh, as usual, because well, it's mainly my fault. Uh, I have a new schedule as me working nights, so my sleep schedule is all kinds of crazy. So us coordinating is uh, kind of a weird, weird, uh, iffy thing right now. Like I said, but I'm trying my best here. We're gonna do our best to uh, make as entertaining the show as possible. Right, AJ? That's right. <laughs> I don't know if you folks can see it. No, you folks can't see it. But uh, AJ has a very luxurious beard now. I had a luxurious beard, but I had to shave it off. Uh, but, you know, it'd be, it'd be like this sometimes. I wasn't married to it. Yeah. Well, you know, at some point, once we've, uh, once we've got you 24-7 in the actor's life, instead of having to do this bullshit day job, then you can, you can go ahead and see just how luxurious and long – you can get your facial hair as well. I, I happen to be um, stuck in the middle of that uh, unemployed um, filmmaking position right now, along with uh, a few thousand other of my closest friends here in Hollywood, California. And so there's nothing to do but grow a beard. So it's, it's, yeah. a, it's you just, you know, it's about a different phase in life. That's all it really comes down to. I was actually saying, since we're talking about that, since there's nothing else to do, I'm actually on kind of a rogue diet right now. Uh, uh, this is I, funny enough. I've actually uh, passed eight weeks. It's actually a thirty day challenge, so I'm I'm into the I'm into the shit now. I'm into the winning, man. Uh, I lost a few pounds, lost a few inches off the waist. Uh, it's hell uh, because of that you have to give up a lot. Just like any guy, you got to give up all the you know shit that makes life worth living. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, just just for the sake of looking thin for a little. Uh, but like I said, I am feeling lighter, feeling better, uh, and we'll see how it goes in the next few weeks. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's weeks for me and shit, so. <laughs> well, you know what, man? It's, uh, it's, it's you suffering for your craft. That's what it is. Also, I got to the, it's one of those, like, uh, rut fixtures, you know, like, when you get into a rut where it's like, you know, food, like, like, you, you have so much of food that don't really, the, the taste kind of goes away, you feel yeah. me? It's like, you know, you don't really, you can't really enjoy it as much as you used to. Also, you know, you know, just like that shit, you know, uh, absence makes the heart grow fonder. So, uh, well, and, what I'm doing with this 30 day challenge, I'm just scoffing pizza like crazy. Well, I was going to say, too much of certain kinds of food after a while, you start to get bored with it. And it's really sad when you get bored with it, right? It's like, it's like when you feel like pizza or beer is like not anymore, that's when it's really depressing. You're like, oh man, that, that, that stuff used to be so good. Yeah, no, I, that's exactly what I was like. You know what? I, I'm had like, it's it's that weird thing about being a dog. I'm, I've had so much to the point where like it just lost its luster a little bit. So I was like, you know what? I gotta do something about that. Gotta get that taste back. So, this is part of why I'm doing this too. But you know, but but uh, the official reasons for health. 
Well, man, got to got to get that's the way to be ready to box, man. They let us out of out of the yeah. box. I want to be ready to go as soon as the money shows, right? Exactly. So, all right, all right. So we got that out the way. This is a personal bullshit. So let's go ahead and get into the show. Uh, first off, Seven Degrees of Eddie Murphy, where I can name any major American film star to the great Eddie Murphy within seven films. Uh, let's go ahead and get that intro going. <laughs> Uh, what you got for me today, AJ? All right. Uh, again, trying to stump you. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna go maybe a little bit deeper. We'll see how this goes. I'm gonna start with a, a big name, an old name. I'm guessing this will be pretty. Cool. I want to go there anyway. Uh, David Carradine. David Carradine. Yes, sir. Okay. David Carradine. Oh, this will be easy. David Carradine was in Kill Bill, Volume 1, with Vivica Fox. Vivica Fox was in, yeah, Independence Day with Jeff Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum was in Holy Man with Eddie Murphy. All right, nice warm-up. Going a little deeper, Maya Rudolph. That's good, too, because recently she appeared with Eddie on uh, Skid and SNL, too. But in terms of the movies... Um, that, that angry Thanksgiving dinner, right? So that she was, she was his wife in that like angry Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner, right? The holiday dinner. Yeah, that like probably the funniest skit of the whole night. I love, I like Eddie, but like that was the hands down the funniest skit yeah, of the night. Um, that's gonna be on uh, we can um. Going back to your thing, uh, Maya Rudolph was in okay. Maya Rudolph was in Sisters with yeah. I'll go this route. Yeah, uh, Maya Rudolph was in Sisters. No, 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 no. no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With Amy Poehler. Amy Poehler was in Baby Mama with Steve Martin. Steve Martin was in Both and Eddie Murphy. All right, not bad. And going a little deeper, Cliff Curtis. What was the name? Cliff Curtis. Cliff Curtis? Yes, sir. Cliff Curtis. Yep. Huh. Been around for a minute. Do you need me to throw out a, a film for you? Yeah, I, I don't see what he looks like. Hold up. Cliff Curtis. I, I'm in right now, folks. I have a look. I can see what he looks like. Oh, this dude. Okay. Yeah, I got you right here. Okay. Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, you don't look like a clip, but <laughs> okay, I, I I got you right here. Okay, so Cliff Curtis was in Training Day with uh, Denzel Washington. Denzel Washington was in what's right? I want to go. Denzel did in everything. Uh. Ah, okay. Yeah, Denzel Washington was in No Better Blues, West is Nice, West is Nice is in Dolomite is My Name with Eddie Murphy. All right. You did better than I thought you would with Cliff Curtis. I didn't know you'd be able to get – Did you You had to look up Training Day, though, right? Uh, yeah, so, as soon as I saw his face, like, I was like, oh, that dude. Yeah. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Cliff Curtis is the leader of the like, Hispanic dudes in Training Day when he had the white boy with the gun. Uh, Ethan Hawke, whatever they had to do, 
that whole shit, he was the leader of like the Vatos and shit. He was, he was still fooling me. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Smiley. Yeah. The, the character's name was Smiley. Yeah, I, mean, yeah, I ain't seen Trading Day in a minute, but hey, don't, don't you lie to me. Don't you lie to me. Okay? Right, we're going to talk about this when I get done. Okay? <laughs> Those the truth. <laughs> All right, let's do let's do one one last as a bonus round because he was okay, okay. another movie. okay okay I'm down. Vin Diesel. Vin Diesel. Yeah, just another oh. big round it out. Tweets. Okay, uh, Vin Diesel was in Warrior with Neil Long. Neil Long was in Big Mama's House with Martin Lawrence. Martin Lawrence is a life man. All right, there you go. And you know what? I'm glad you brought it back to life because that's one of that's. It might actually be my favorite Eddie Murphy film ever. Right? Yeah, I love that movie. And Boiler Room might be my favorite Vin Diesel movie. Wait, which one? Boiler Room. Yeah, probably. Although, you know what? You got you to gotta say there's something about him dying and uh, saving Private Ryan that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I, I, I got to give him more to Boiler Room because he's like the, kind of a leader, more aggressive type. I like that. Yeah, he aspect. does really good job in that film even though even though he's out super early uh yeah. i mean he was he was killing that that was a great film and then of course him and groot is fantastic <laughs> he for that. His, his groot the way that he just says i am groot is <laughs> in so many different ways i am angry i am groot happy i am groot sad i am groot <laughs> yeah Excited. I am uh, no, inquisitive. No, inquisitive. I am Groot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. It's like there's a whole other podcast where we think about Vin Diesel. Okay, so that was pretty, yeah, so that was 70 degrees of Eddie Murphy. <laughs> All right, folks, so let's go ahead and get into another one of our segments here. Uh, WWBS, what will Busey say? Well, I do an improvised rant as the great Gary Busey. Cue the part, please. Hey, this is Gary Busey talking to Gary Busey. What time is it, Gary? It's time for WWBS. What will Busey say? What are we talking about today, Gary? Um, I'm curious what Gary's uh, thoughts are on diapers. Are they a good thing, a bad thing, disposable, uh, cloth? Just for babies, for adults? I, I don't know. I'm, I, I want to know. I, I would love to know what his um, thought process in terms of winning with diapers. What do I think about diapers? I love, I love diapers. It's a really long bender. They are so helpful. Like, I, I know most people associate diapers with them babies and older people, but know us middle-aged people we need a diaper every once in a while too i know i've lost control of myself on many occasions especially uh after chilly night at uh tgi fridays and you know just different things of that nature but one time in particular i could think of i was on uh i was on the uh 405 out here in los angeles and i had about 16 cups of coffee and six brand muffins and well let's just say didn't end well and uh, the fire department had to be called, and next thing you know, blocking traffic for miles on end. Well, I, I really could have used a diaper there. So every once in a while, I keep a diaper in the car, you know, just in case I had some of those uh, 
going to take your tackle against the Yanks. You know what I'm saying? Plus, you know, it is a little comfortable. You know what I'm saying? The soft, you know, the softness of it. I mean, they really invented diaper technology since I was a little kid. Back when I was little, it was just those damn cloth ones, man. Well, you know, I saw many of those, and my mom got tired of just washing this shit all the damn time. So, yeah, just washing that shit all the time. So, you know, I, I'm really, I'm really a fan of the new diaper technology. It feels soft. It makes my bum feel all special, you know. I throw a little powder in there, you know, maybe maybe some baby oil, you know. <laughs> hey, if you find the right chick, it might be, you know, might have a little fantasy going on there. <laughs> ah. Tag him. Okay. Yeah, to call. Okay. On the 405. Yeah. Fire to fire around 405. That was an explosive diarrhea. <laughs> it's pretty explosive diarrhea, bro. Blocking traffic for hours on end. It was a little less second. <laughs> just as disturbing as always. Yeah, man. You know. Uh... <laughs> Gary is practical when it comes to diapers. You know what? I, I appreciate that, the man. Yeah, Gary is a realist, man, when it comes to diapers. Because you know what I'm saying? Tosh, who stuck five, anything could happen. Well, I was going to say, I think it was Daniel Tosh who famously said that uh, he doesn't trust anyone who hasn't crapped themselves at least twice as an adult. So Gary BFC promoting diaper technology makes perfect sense. Yeah, right, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was great, Gary. How you doing today, Gary? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I'm Gary Busey. I'm doing great. <laughs> I like this shit. All right, so we're going to bring back another favorite here. Uh, Roger Reed's rap. We're going to uh, do a rap song as read by the great, the late great Sir Roger Moore, who, who happens to be Alive and well here on this podcast to the fact we're both big Bond fans and we're both big fans of Mr. Moore's work. So go ahead and cue that pump, AJ. Good evening, I'm Roger Moore. You may remember me from my time as Bond, James Bond, and I once exchanged bodily fluids with Louis Jordan. This is not so much a commentary as it were, it's more of a one-sided conversation as I cannot talk to you and you cannot talk to me. And now for another edition of Roger Reed's Rap. What is our selection for this evening? Well, this afternoon, I've chosen a classic from 1993. Luke, there it is by Tag Team. Like the party anthem during its height. I know I've heard it quite a bit over in Liverpool and different other sections of London. <clears throat> First stanza. Quasi people, yeah. In full effect, that's me, DC, the brain supreme, and my man, Steve Rowland. We're kicking the flow, we're kicking the flow, and it goes a little something like this. <clears throat> Tag team back again, check it to wreck it, let's begin. Party on, party people, let me hear some noise. DCs in the house, jump, jump, rejoice. Say there's a party over here, party over there. Put your hands in your air, shake your derriere. 
These three words mean you're getting busy. Whoop, there it is. Hit me. Whoop, there it is. 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 And whoop, there it is. Thank you. And this has been another episode of Roger Reed's Rap. I am drunk. I just like that. It was a little less um, explicit than usual, but uh, it was good. It was good. Yeah. It was nice to hear Roger elevate the hip hop game a little bit and pick something that was a more family friendly than general. Yeah, you know, like switching over is why. You know, rap is very new. Uh, rap is not just vulgar shit, man. Rap is a celebration of culture, baby. Okay? So this is a party anthem. This is a party song. And we want to be in a party mood. Constantly. Well, then, this, is a, nothing yeah, this is one of those songs when I hear it, I automatically think 90s. <laughs> well, and, and nothing against um, Sir Patrick Stewart, but uh, I've, I've been able to witness and, and watch a bit of his poetry reading he's been doing here throughout the quarantine and he does do a great job but there's something about the way Roger delivers his lines that's I mean it's otherworldly really it is it must be the inebriation yeah yeah it is definitely the inebriation <laughs> and actually, actually I've been looking at those like on Twitter where Patrick Stewart does like a different Shakespeare's song of the day that's pretty cool so he's just chilling at the house, you know, doing his little piece for culture. It's cool. Yeah, it's great. Mm-hmm. It's nice. It's nice to have two different Englishmen bringing about two different aspects of Western culture and sharing them with the world the way that, that we've seen this. I would. What would be wonderful is if we could somehow get Sir Patrick Stewart and Roger Moore together, and they could trade lines. That'd be great. Patrick Stewart reads a line from a sonnet. And then we have Roger read a line from rap, and they could go back and forth and almost have like a poetry duel. That Something like that would be, I think it'd be next I'm week. Sure, I'm sure we'll be able to arrange it somehow. <laughs> I, I, I'm, sure, I'm very sure I can find somebody. Let's I'm very sure. Patrick Stewart and see if we can get that done. <laughs> oh. All right. All right, cool. All right, so we got that out of the way. Let's go ahead and get into dropping that news, okay? Dropping that news. All right, folks, so like, just like last week, unfortunately, we got to uh, some uh, unfortunate passing in Hollywood, uh, two in particular. Uh, first off, we want to give uh, condolences to the family of Regis Philbin, uh, talk show host, legendary talk show host, Game show host. Uh, pretty much as long as I can remember, I can see remember seeing Regis on telly and all that good stuff. And then, like, I always love the Regis impression that um, Dana Carvey would do on SNL. Was like the exacerbated Regis you know, going out of control. You know, he's like that shit. I, I'm telling you, everybody, everybody does a different Regis. And uh, but. Uh, one thing that I really uh, liked about Regis is the fact that he was always so excited, he was always so personable, and I was like, you know, 
me and my wife, me and my wife Joy, what's going on? You know, it was, you always know, you know, lay some shit to him and his wife and him and his family and shit. And he's always nice to the staff. And, you know, uh, he put up with Kathy Lee Gifford. So there's that. He's a goddamn saint. Well, and, and he's uh, he's also known historically as the man who saved ABC um, because he, he came in as the host of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire at a point in time when ABC was was struggling really badly. It, it nearly nearly went, I mean, I guess probably as close as it's ever been to going under uh, right after the takeover from Disney. And Regis coming in with Who Wants to Be a Millionaire shot them over the top to the number one uh, network. Um, at least for a time there until people kind of got burned out on it and, you know, they made the mistakes they made with Survivor and let that go to NBC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was it was huge for a moment, and it was all it was all Regis carrying it, his personality that uh, who wants to be a millionaire, that is that your final answer? Like, just that whole thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You want to do a lifeline. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I want to do a lifeline, but you just... Uh, is that your final answer? Yes. Got <laughs> quiet. He's one million dollars. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But yeah, yeah. Who else be made that was huge. And also, <clears throat> one thing I always appreciated about Regis, particularly as a wrestling fan, he brought a lot of WWF people on the show. Uh, he loved the WWF, and like he uh, also he I believe he participated. Yeah, he did. He participated in WrestleMania Eight. He was like one of the celebrity guests that they had. I think he's like doing backstage commentary, like interviewing like you know Hulk Hogan and people like that. And, <clears throat> I think he did this. I think he did guest commentary on that too. And but yeah, he always brought people, a lot of people on um, on uh, Regis and Kathy Lee national exposure due to their show. Like Hulk Hogan was in there a bunch of times. Brett the Hitman Hart, The Undertaker in character, The Ultimate Warrior. Uh, and actually, funny enough, The Ultimate Warrior was actually nice on this particular uh, shit because like. If you ever seen his Arsenio appearance, he fucking just tore that shit apart and stayed in character. It was like, it was just a fucking wild man. But he was cordial on Regis and Kevin Lee. <laughs> and uh, same thing, oh, uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin, John Cena, etc. Et he kept bringing up people on Triple H. You know, he's a big fan of WWF and like, because, because of that, I became a fan of the show. But he was always a very personable guy, great personality. Uh, I saw a lot of his uh, stuff. Uh, they did like a little tribute for him out here in LA because apparently that's what like that's what you guys do. Drake out here was like hosting, you know, morning television out here in LA, and you know, then of course it became uh, it got um, got hooked up with Kathleen Gifford, and then became Kathleen, and became nationally syndicated, and the rest is history. Well, but uh, yeah, great talk show host, definitely one that that. Sorry, you you cut out there for a second. I I, w- I was just saying he was known for a long time as the as the hardest working man in show business. I mean, before people started uh, pat- putting that moniker on Ryan Seacrest, who you know famously ran around between doing American Idol, his other shows he had on E, and and doing all the radio shows and stuff. That was right out of Regis Philman's playbook. I mean, the man hosted anything and everything anyone asked him to do, from from radio to television. He was nonstop until he finally retired from Good Morning with Regis and Kathy. Um, and I mean, literally, I mean, it's one of those things you, you, you can very rarely find somebody who has been consistently on network television for literally their entire adult life. I mean, he's, he's literally one of a kind when it comes to that at this point. And what's more, not only did he do that, but he managed to do it in a way that is pretty much unheard of at this point, which is he managed to stay 
pretty much completely out of the political fray. He never got into anything. He was one of those guys who kind of went with Johnny Carson's old rule, right? Never let him know where you stand. He was one of those guys who, like, he, funny enough, for a guy who literally talked about pop culture and nothing else, he was a unifying figure because he refused to get pulled into any polarizing conversation. So that's another thing, like, I think is kind of worth pointing out now because, I mean, I don't even know who you'd pick right now to, to, to be that person. Like, there's nobody – he really, truly is kind of a one-of-a-kind when it comes to that. Like, he's not only, you know, 50, 60 years in the public eye, but everybody still loves him. I mean, it's hard. you can't find somebody who hates Regis for any reason. That's yeah, yeah. That's another thing I found. Like, yeah, all songs, nothing in there. I never heard any bad stories about Regis Philbin. But a lot of my cats leave. A lot of my Regis. Oh, yeah. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, you pick anybody, literally anybody. Somebody's got a bad story about him in the public eye. But even uh, what's the name? Kelly Ripper, too. But yeah, no Regis. No Regis. Regis. Everybody loves Regis. So. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Like I said, rest in peace. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great here. Rest in peace to Regis Philbin. And also another rest in peace to a great character actor who's worked we both have loved for years and years, John Saxon. Yeah. Yeah, for that, a lot of people don't know some of the rundown he did. He was a uh, roper in uh, Into the Dragon. He was uh, the sheriff in um, A Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, he was also in The Six Million Dollar Man when he first started doing the robots and shit. He was the first robot. Um, he also did like a, I actually did a movie. I, the first movie I ever saw him in was a, uh, one of those like B movies as a kid. Uh, my mom was a werewolf. He was like, he was like, a, <laughs> he was like the bad guy in the movie. And also he did uh, Beverly Hills Cop 3 uh, uh, with Eddie Murphy. Uh, that was like the last major thing I saw him in. Yeah. And uh, like I said, they're always consistent, you know what I'm saying? Always cool. Yeah, so. Sorry, you, you cut out. I was just going to jump on and say, yeah, that was probably his last major blockbuster-level film that, that he appeared in. But a solid character yeah. all the way around. Great, great talent for sure. Yeah, like I said, get a chance. Check out any of the Dragon or any of his other movies tonight just as a tribute. So rest in peace to John Saxon. Um, also, some other news. Uh, Comic-Con was this past week, uh, and of course it was done digitally for the first time, so a lot of people stayed at home and watched all the different panels. I didn't get a chance to, because pretty much I was asleep, but I would uh, pretty much check out the highlights here and there like, of uh, what they did release. The one thing that's getting the most buzz in terms of like uh, movies or anything like that is they released one little snippet of the fabled Snyder Cut of Justice League. Uh, the uh, the also fabled Snyder Cut. Uh, for, for those of you who don't know, uh, the Snyder Cut is basically Zack Snyder's uncut version of the Justice League film that came out a couple years back. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Zack actually had to leave that project because he had a death in the family. And as a result, uh, Joss Whedon, who was the director of The Avengers and uh, a couple other movies from Marvel, uh, took over and the his version is pretty much what was produced on film. It didn't really go over well with fans. So everybody's been clamoring for the quote unquote Snyder cut because of the fact they feel more likely it's gonna be a superior version than what was released. Uh I remember when Batman these two men came out, they did uh, like the ultimate cut, which is kinda like the Snyder cut of that movie. Uh it was better. I'll give it that. Uh, 
But my only thing about it is, like, it made the movie too long, like, way too long. Like, I mean, it's already a big movie as it is, but, like, it's that. It, but the thing about it was the, the ultimate cut of Batman v Superman actually made the movie make more sense. So I will give it that. Uh, so, the, yeah, so because of that, because of the reception of the ultimate edition, everybody's thinking that the Snyder Cut of Justice League is going to be fucking, you know, what's, what's, the old firm, what's the old term, uh, Cat's Meow, some shit like that. Yeah, they think, they think it's pretty much going to be the movie that's going to save the DCEU films. And like I said, all the, the wonders, like I said, it's a, the script itself is less than a minute long. It's basically uh, a clip of Henry Cavill uh, in the famous uh, Death of Superman black Superman suit with the all-black suit with the silver S um, uh, sans mustache. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, apparently this is made before they did the reshoots. Uh, so, but yeah, like I said, it's just a little clip of Alfred like fixing up a car Superman apparently is coming back from the dead, and the first person he sees is Alfred uh, in, in costume. Uh, so that's basically what it is. And uh, like people just going nuts for it. Like, oh my God, it's going to be great. Snyder Cut's going to be so dope. Snyder Cut's going to be so fantastic. And, like, I'm sitting here like, okay, I really hope that this Snyder Cut is good. Number one, because I, I would love to see a good Justice League movie, but also uh, just to justify all this fucking hype. You know, it would have to, it would have to be like the best movie ever made because the fact that like people have been going nuts over this for years, a couple of years now. So I just hope it lives up to the hype. You got anything to say on that, AJ? I, look, the only the only question I've got, I'm backing up a little bit to the uh, uh, the Comic Con part of stuff, and this might be a bit us, but I gotta ask it anyway because you know we're both we're both self-professed geeks. Um, what is what is the difference or the special side of Comic-Con online? Like, what makes it different from just any other day for the rest of us? Because I know you got to be a part of it. I, I haven't had an opportunity to participate with the online portion this year. Yeah, down to San Diego and the booths and the panels and the movie studios rolling stuff, kind of promoting what's going on. I get that. Like, but the idea of the online Comic-Con, it's just like, what's the difference between that and any other Tuesday? You know what I mean? Cause it's like, it's, it's that you don't get that same in-person interaction. It's basically like, well, we're just continuing with geek life, like normal. Like, I don't, I don't, I, it's hard to sell me on like why I'd want to do that versus everything else I normally do in my geek life. So maybe, maybe you can enlighten me a bit. Not uh, I understand it completely. Cause like, yeah, like being that is digital because the fact everything is digital right now, all the talk shows are digital, all the whatever's are digital. So yeah, it doesn't. It kind of takes away from the specialness of the, the this particular kind of con. However, one thing I will say, just watching just a few panels, uh, it was just so much easier for the stars and the uh, directors and the producers and the film film crew people just to get out what they need to get out. You know, what I'm saying because the fact that you're con, there's thousands of people there that want to ask a million questions. It's, it's more straightforward. I'll put it like that than uh, most comic cons usually are. And we also had a lot of celebrity guests. Like one uh, panel that I did get a chance to see, uh, they got a lot of buzz too. It was, actually, it was a two two panel. Uh, Keanu Reeves actually came on the Zoom and did two panels. One for Bill and Ted Face the Music, and the other one for because uh, I think it was like the episode. I think it's like the anniversary of the movie Constantine. Okay. Uh, so they did like a bunch of uh, 
So they had the filmmakers there. He was talking about how much he loved Constantine. A lot of people were like, yeah, Keanu, like you should do another Constantine. He was like, yeah, I'm down for it. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? So fucking, and that, that got a lot of buzz too. Uh, also, uh, the thing, what, what I was talking about, the Snyder Cut thing, was Zack Snyder being able to talk to the fan. I think this is like one of the first major appearances he had in a very long time. And with that, he was actually joined by Henry Cavill to premiere the clip. So they were both sitting there, you know. And like I said, the, the whole the overall whole, interaction was a lot more straightforward. That's one thing that's the difference between this Comic Con and most others. I personally, um, I prefer the in-person Comic Con me myself because you know I like going on, I like going on the floors and I like going on different exhibits and I like you know uh doing geek merch. I like geek merch. Well, and, so yeah about the about the cosplay side where you see all these people because I mean look some some of these guys right like you get to see big studio actors come out in costume and they're promoting whatever they're promoting like that's cool. But like the the the, the fan base, the fanboys right some of these guys have so much imagination and talent when it comes to their costuming. That part of it alone is worth it just because you get to see this kind of fun, crazy set of, I mean, honestly, talented people. And then, of course, some not-so-talented, just hilarious folks that are doing whatever they're doing. Like, that, for me, is what, what the, the biggest sales part of a Comic-Con is, is getting to see and experience all that, that craziness of people. Like, that's, that's what it's about for me. Speaking of the cosplay, the chicks, man. I'm freaking like, titties, man. The world kind of kind, man. Kidding me? You gonna see at least a thousand Harley Quinns, a thousand Catwoman, a thousand, uh, you know, Pearl Nivers, Vampirellas. Listen, whatever the sweatiest uh, Comic Con costume you can imagine, you will see at Comic Con, and it's you'll see it in abundance. It's dope. I love it. So uh, that, that's all that. But yeah, going to your point, yeah, there's people who spend an entire year getting ready just for Comic Con. Do their whole costume from scratch. And, you know. Board costumes that guys spend time on, like, it's insane. And then you get the steampunkers rolling through. Like, it's ridiculous the amount of creativity shows up down there. It really is. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And like I said, I'm sad, I'm sad that a lot of people didn't get a chance to express themselves this year. But like, hopefully this COVID shit clears up and we can get back to it, man. Um, actually, I actually posted this on Best of Words yesterday. Uh, this is um, from now that first time. This is a rumor. Uh, we talked about this a couple weeks back that uh, Giancarlo Esposito, uh, famously from Breaking Bad, was uh, interested in uh, becoming a part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, Back up a second that you cut out really bad. Who's who did you say? Okay. I'm talking about The name broke up one more time. Giancarlo Esposito. Okay. Got it? Okay. Giancarlo Esposito. Got you that time. Okay, good. All right. So, what I was saying was. Uh, this is a, like I said, this is a big rumor that Giancarlo Esposito is interested in becoming part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, he feels in his career that is the next logical step for him. Uh, like I said, we were talking about this earlier. He got a lot of success this past year, uh, playing one of the main, pretty much the main villain of the Mandalorian on Disney Plus. So he did a great job as that. 
And we talked about this before. He, most of his career, he's done a great job playing villains. And like I said, this is a rumor. One villain that a lot of people say he would be fantastic as is Dr. Doom. Oh, yeah, he'd be a great Dr. Doom. Yeah, Dr. Doom. A lot of people think, because, like, one thing he did mention about being with the MCU, he wanted something sustaining. I mean, he wanted a character that would be brought back for movie after movie after movie. Now, if they actually did cast Mr. Esposito as Dr. Doom, there's no Thanos right there. Yeah. But for like, just that kind of, like, big, big bad that a bunch of movies were, like, uh, build up to his appearance. Not just his appearance, but just like an actual battle between him and the heroes. Uh, I think I think it's as great. Personally, Dr. Doom is my absolute favorite Marvel villain ever. Uh, so to see a great actor playing Dr. Doom finally, uh, I'm all for it. I'm definitely all for it. I should go for this casting. Uh, and a lot of people that I posted, yourself included, are very excited at the just the prospect of it. You know what I'm saying? Like, cause like we all appreciate Mr. Esposito's work and the many things he's done. I think you'd be a fucking fantastic Doctor Doom. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's killer. So, so it'd be killer casting, man. So if they go that route. Um, but that is really that's really it for dropping that news for this week. Pop the two AJ. All right, folks, let's get to the meat and potatoes of this. Potato. So let's go ahead and get into the meat and potatoes of this motherfucker this week. Uh, <laughs> we posted on, uh, on uh, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram a couple weeks back. Um, like I said, we love to get to it, but we're getting it this week. And our subject matter for this particular week, na 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 Batman. Batman. What are you that? Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Just a quick personal note. One of my consistent memories of the challenge was almost every single night, I would crawl up on my, my parents' bed next to my dad. We'd turn on Batman. We'd watch Adam West fight Cesar Romero or whoever it was that week. And then yeah. it would end with, uh, you know, the, the teaser of, you know, will, will Batman be able to escape? Will blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Same bat time, same bat time. Yeah. For me to go to bed, and then they have to put me put me to bed. But every single night, man, me and my dad would sit there Monday through Friday watching reruns of the original Adam West Batman, and it was fucking killer, dude. Like it literally, it, yeah. That, yeah, is what made me a Batman fan. Yeah. All right. So me personally, my first memory of the Batman TV show, uh, it used to run. They used to run reruns of it on FX. Uh, when FS first started. So I just watched it like, yeah, I watched it like religiously. I was like, oh shit, like fucking like, because I always heard of it. And you know, the, the, the theme songs like, na 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 na, that's just instantly catchy. So I just started sitting down watching the episodes. I was like, yo, this is, this is funny. This is dope. Like, freaking, you know, like, uh, actually, I got so into it that I remember as a little kid, I got a box 
and I made myself like a makeshift Batmobile. <laughs> Dude. Real shit. And like, like, I was really into it, man. Like, fucking, like, and, and I was doing the whole thing and, 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 and all that bullshit. And yeah, I was really into it, man. And, like, like it's, it was just so much fun. Like, it's just a fun show. And the one thing that's really fun, most fun about the show, is the earnestness of the actors. Oh, for sure. Well, yeah. and it's great. I mean, just, just thinking, if people haven't seen it, spend the time, sit down and watch it. It's a blast. So you have, it's this weird, weird convergence of, like you said, the earnestness and the dramatic nature with which all the actors play their parts, connected or combined with this create, crazy creative ridiculous version of like a 1970s comic with the pals and the blams of people you know that's that's kind of how they covered over a lot of the violence so instead of totally watching them pull their punches right before we connect they do like a a, a graphic over top it'd be blam pow kabooey stuff like stupid like nonsense words over top of it kind of make a make a fill in for the sound effect and that kind of campy ridiculousness along with all of the, it didn't matter what it was. Like you could be getting a, get them a, a, a bottle of Coke and it'd be a bat Coke or you get like bat, 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 yeah. bat repellent. Like ridiculous. Everything was a bat thing. Like that made, I'm, I'm, yeah. just made for such a fun, ridiculous place to sit back and watch a show. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to get into that actually. Uh, but let's go ahead and go quick, uh, real quick, the origin of the actual show itself. Now in the early sixties, uh, Ed Graham Productions, actually optioned the television rights to the comic book Batman. And they actually planned for juvenile adventure show, kind of like the Avengers of Superman or the Longer, that's supposed to air on Saturday morning. Uh, however, uh, uh, the executive at the time, Harv Bennett, who would go on to be the dude of Star Trek, uh, and also he was also the executive of the $6 million man and so many other hits. Um, he, they actually considered making a, uh, TV show of a comic strip hero, so they suggested making Batman prime time, like, kind of, like, in a fun, hip style, very similar to, like, the, the man from Marvel, like that. Uh, they eventually agreed to it, they aired it on, they made a deal for ABC, and then, uh, 20th Century Fox, uh, took the rights themselves to produce the show, and they handed the show over to the executive producer, William Dozier. That's name, that name is going to come back uh, quite a bit in the show. And he, like, they decided to make it more like a pop art kind of campy comedy type deal. You know what I'm saying? So uh, in terms of the actual, like, uh, casting, too, uh, it was a bunch of actors, apparently, that went for it. But so far, only two screen, screen tests still exist. One is of Adam West and Burt Ward. The other is of actor Lyle Wagner. And a dude named Peter Dial. Uh, I think that's how you pronounce his last name. Anyway, Lyle Wagner would go on to play Steve, uh, Steve Trevor on the Wonder Woman series in the 70s with Linda Carter. He was also one of the players on the uh, Carol Burnett show. So it worked out well for both. It worked out well for them. But ultimately, it was Adam West and Burt Warner that were cast because of their chemistry. Uh, now, uh, in terms of a lot of the episodes, uh, Lorenzo Simple Jr. was like the head screenwriter. He did a lot of the episodes. Uh, vast majority of them, anyway. And also, uh, this dude named uh, Oscar Rant Rudolph, who also directed most of the episodes. And you know, the show had a lot of weird stuff, like in terms of the, uh, like the, how everything was done with Dutch tilts, and then the, how to split it up into you know two parts 
you know, one that would air like uh, kind of like the old movie series that we talked about before, and they would have a cliffhanger that connected both shows. Now, the is this the end for our heroes? Will the dynamic duo defy the death defying death trap? Tune in tomorrow, same bad time, same bad channel. And since I mentioned William Dozier, that's the voice of the narrator. He's the narrator, William Dozier, the executive producer. And he killed it as the fucking, oh, he always, he always made you hype. Like, will they escape? Yeah, yeah. How will they escape? Tune in tomorrow. <laughs> but, Oh, I was just laughing. Yeah, it was it was fan fantastic the way the way they set those up. I mean, it's it, it's it's kind of funny because, like you said, with that nineteen sixties uh, campiness that they went for that pop art thing, they still managed to bring in that vaudevillian aspect of the style that they had originally to to be able to really make for. I mean, honestly, like when you when you look at it, um, is, is it something that you would say was? Um, uh, a hallmark or a pivotal moment in television. Like you, you hear people talk about The Sopranos and what The Sopranos did to, to change the medium of, of, uh, of television. No, you're, you're never going to put it in that, that same camp. But it, it really truly does in a lot of ways stand alone. I mean, there's I, honestly off the top of my head, I can't think of another, another uh, series prior to Batman. And it's hard for me to even think of one post Batman that used that same setup, the cliffhanger vaudevillian style to drag people along and keep them engaged and to make them want to watch the next episode anything else that's a two or a three-parter they just it, they just kind of resolve it and leave you with the cliffhanger they don't beat you in the head with the fact that are they gonna make it you have to tune in next week to find out like this was the first and it's really one of the only that really really did that at least that i can think of yeah all right so uh real quick we'll go ahead and go over the formula that we use pretty much for every episode of batman uh, but it worked. It definitely worked. So kudos to them. Um, well, first thing we would do is like they would have uh, the typical story would start like with some kind of caper, maybe stealing a treasure or kidnapping a prominent person or attempting to take over uh, Gotham City somehow. Uh, then uh, <laughs> Commissioner uh, Commissioner Gordon and Chief Hall would be will be in their office you know, talking about where the plan is. Like, like uh, what are we gonna do, man? Hmm? Can any of y'all stop him? Hmm? And then look at that damn phone, that red bad phone. There's only one man in Gotham City that can stop this particular criminal, and that's Batman. And then, of course, they hit on that phone, and then the, the narrator, meanwhile, at stately Wayne Manor, millionaire Bruce Wayne and his youthful ward, Dick Grayson. <laughs> and they would always have, like, um, Bruce and Dick like sitting in like the house where Bruce uh Dick would be like doing some homework or some bullshit like that. Gosh, like I hate I hate economics. So Bruce would be like, oh, you can't hate economics. Economics is the language of the world. Wow, if we understood more economics, the world would be a better place. Gosh, Bruce, you're right. <laughs> when you put it that way, and of course they uh they were joined by also Alfred the Butler, the faithful butler, and Aunt Harriet. Oh, yeah, I forget about that area. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I think I think they just... I'm getting to a more, but I've always... Oh, sorry, sorry, you cut out. I was, uh, I was just going to say, I think they insert Aunt Harriet just to make it a little less homoerotic. 
Yeah, that's exactly why they invented Aunt Harriet because of the fact they like just didn't want this man and this boy living in this house alone together. Because they're because they're they're not related. And one thing, maybe there's an episode I missed, but they never really explain like how how Dick ended up living there with Bruce Wayne. And so like having her there kind of makes it more of like a okay, well this isn't that weird of a setup. And then she kind of had she kind of always reminded me of I can never remember the 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 uh, character's name, but. Um, in the uh, Andy Griffith show, the the aunt, what's her name? Hey, 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 me. Yeah, hey, me. Her, her personality, the character, always reminded me a lot of her. Yeah, I can see that. But yeah, they would be sitting there, and then all of a sudden, the bat phone would ring, and this is the part that always kills me. Alpha would answer it. Yeah, more often than not, Alpha would answer it. He'd be like, even if he changed his voice, like, I'll get him for you, sir. And then, of course, Alfred comes in, they're doing the homework, and, uh, yes, uh, yes, there's a message for you, sir, uh, from a, uh, K. Ryan. Mm-hmm. Oh, Mr. K. Ryan. Yeah, uh, Dick, uh, you know Mr. K. Ryan. Holy, whatever. And, 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 oh, yeah, uh, sure, Bruce. Yeah, I know Mr. K. Ryan. Oh, we gotta go right Harriet. Uh, but the the one excuse that he used the most, and I don't know why the fuck this was not fishing and Harriet, we're going fishing. <laughs> they always name like different. Uh, you know, we're going fishing or we're going bird watching. <sighs> and that and the fishing or the bird watching would take literally take all night or all day, depending on the adventure. We hear the fish are biting in lake or uh, whatever. Uh, you know how we are about our fishing. And he's still you know, He's like, oh yeah, I love, I love the. Uh, oh sorry, I call her Andy and Harriet. He'd be like, hey Ryan, that, that that sounds like crying. That's funny, Alfred. And Alfred just like, oh yes, madam, yes, yes, it's funny. Right, I had to get Alfred his credit because number one, he had to keep Batman's in secret, and then had to deal with this doddering old bitch all day. <laughs> well, Alfred, and the original yeah. Alfred did a lot better keeping Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne's uh, secrets than he did uh, once you started getting into the feature film territory when he keeps bringing different chicks back to the Batcave. True. I'll give you that. Yeah, this Alfred was actually a G. Uh, yeah, the uh, Alan Napier Alfred. Because, like, he not only did he keep everything nice and neat, but, like, whenever, like, some shit would happen where, like, oh, my God, somebody's going to figure out that Bruce Wayne is Batman, Alfred would step the fuck in. Like, hey, shit, like, no, nah, you're not Batman. Even though Alfred would look tall as hell in the costume, yeah, right. but he was he was there. Yeah, that was the best Alfred ever for sure. Definitely, man. Yeah. All right, so they would get the uh, call or whatever. Like, uh, and this is that kills me. He's like, they can't. The police, of course, Commissioner Gordon and Chief O'Hare can't figure out who the fuck Batman is. But Bruce doesn't even really bother to change his voice. Neither does Alfred. Well. And, did Bruce say, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, until we get to Christian Bale, I don't remember any Batman really changing their voice. Uh, Michael Keaton did. Did he? I, I got to listen to it again. I, I've, it's, been a, it's been a minute since we did our watch long, but I mean, if he did, it wasn't that much of a change. Like, no, he did, no, he did, he did basically what everybody else does, the fucking uh, the dirty Harry thing. I'm yeah. not going to kill you. Well, that's what I was going Christian Bale goes way different, like way down, way deep, and he tries to... Like, <laughs> Christian Bale. Yeah, yeah, but like everybody, like it's it's borderline Bobcat Goldblatt, like with, with Christian Bale's. Everybody else is like, 
you know, whatever, maybe figure it out, it's me, maybe not. Well, the one who did, uh, the seven ones, the one who did change his voice definitely was Michael Keaton. Val Kilmer and George Clooney didn't fucking bother. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, like I said, uh, like, but this one didn't change his voice either, so they will, of course, uh, get the crime, whoever the villain is of the week. Oh, it's the Penguin. Penguin. Yeah. So, we're well, on our way. And then, of course, they lift up that damn bust of Shakespeare. Hold on, though. You skipped one of the greatest innovations of the show. How they Don't you remember you, how they came you, you cut out. Say it again. Well, I said you, you skipped one of the greatest innovations of the show, and that was how they accessed the Batcave. I was about to get to that. Okay, well, because you jumped from there to going after, like, the Penguin or whoever, because they got to get to the Batcave. No, 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 I was saying, like, they would get on the phone, and they would say whoever the villain is, or the real, like, oh, it's Penguin, or hey, it's Riddler, and then, like, to the bad poles, and then that's why I was getting to it. They would lift up that bust of, of Shakespeare with the button, and then it opens up the fucking, uh, what the, the, uh, the bookshelf, and there's, like, two poles, one Mark Bruce and one Mark Dick. And I can't even notice this is pounds bigger than dicks. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, they were heading down, uh, down the pep holes, and then they go down uh, to the back cave. And of course, uh, while they mid slide, they would have a fucking mechanism uh, in the cave that switched they, whatever clothes they were wearing to their back costumes instantly. And of course they would uh they were bound, usually bound straight to the back to the uh to the Batmobile. That's another innovation show, the Batmobile by itself. That's a whole show by itself how dope that yeah, Batmobile was. That is the best Batmobile ever. Yeah. Love Such it. a great Batmobile. And then of course they uh they had the shit where uh, Robin would get in. Atomic battery is the power, turbines the speed. Roger, ready to move out. And they will use that clip almost every episode. Yeah. And mm-hmm. they, come out, they come out of the so, back, I think, is actually technically in Griffith Park, isn't it? Say that again? I said, and then they have the shot of them driving out of the back cave with the boulder that moved, which, if I remember right, the back cave was actually in Griffith Park. Yeah. And also, uh, exact, and also the little sign you'll see that the back cave is exactly 14 miles from, Gar- yeah, from Gotham City. Yeah. Yeah, that was crazy. And actually, just as long as we're talking about the suits for a moment. So we've, we've both gone off and, and talked at different times at length about all of, the, uh, all of the shit that Schumacher got for the bat suits during Batman Forever and Batman and Robin with, like, the nipples on the bat suits and everything. The mm-hmm. innovation with the um, Adam West Batman bat suit that never gets nearly enough credit that is fucking hilarious to this day is the eyebrows on, on his bat suit. The eyebrows that you He's constantly somewhere between surprised and angry, no matter what's going on when he's dressed up like Batman, which is phenomenal, man. It really is. Exactly. So I, I think it's great too. Now going into the actual, they would get to Commissioner Gordon. They would say whatever the investigation is, like hey, uh, the Riddler's going to do this, or the Joker's going to do that, and then they start the investigation itself. They would usually find like the like clues. They would, actually, this is one. This is the one version of Batman, the live action version anyway. That was an actual fucking detective. Which is what, what, what Batman's supposed to be. He's supposed to be the world's greatest detective. This 
this is probably the best version of Batman as a detective that you probably ever see live action. So he'll like he'll rob him, use deduction, they'll find the clues. No, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Well, the thing I'm gonna say just as a caveat is is I think you can actually make an argument that during the Dark Knight series, you see more of a, a detective Batman. Granted, there's a lot more emphasis placed on his time with the League of Shadows and the, the martial arts side, but you do see a lot more of Batman actually doing detective work by the time you get to the Dark Knight series. Granted, not to this, quite to the same level of the Adam West original Batman, because mm -hmm. I think the Adam West Batman was certainly probably weighted 70, 80% to the detective side, that he's just the best detective, and the other 30% or so would have been him out there actually, you know, going after the bad guy and catching him, whereas I think maybe maybe it's fair to say it's like 50-50 in the Dark Knight series. But all the rest yeah. of them give you 100%. I mean, if he was 10 or 20% detective in him, it'd be pretty surprising. Like, it just wasn't, it was something that kind of got lost with the feature films, for sure. Yeah. But going to that, like us, we're talking about the detective part of it, uh, because of the fact that, you know, technology was limited back then. Like, Batman was showing himself to be a genius expert in so many different aspects of, like, whatever. Like, he's, like, he's an expert, you know, he's an expert in physics, he's an expert in chemistry, he's an expert in economics, uh, he's an expert in all these different things, and he would use, those, use that knowledge for these clues to usually find the, the identity of the villain, their plan, their target, or whatever the location of the lair is. They usually end up meeting the villain, and then they first they do the first of uh, many fights. They usually it's a fist fight when they arrive, like no, 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 where they fight in a pow, bam, kazooie, shablam, <laughs> you know, shit like that. And then something would happen where, like, usually it was usually Robin, Robin was usually getting hurt or some shit like that, and they were both either one of them or both of them would end up in a death trap. And uh, one thing that I always, like, I watched a lot of them, like, in prep for this show, there's a lot of conveyor belts in uh, Gotham City. Well, yeah, I mean, but that's that's going back to that old school, because you talked before about, you know, it being like a Lone Ranger sort of a thing. That, that goes back mm -hmm. to the kind of thing, the damsel in distress. Even though it might not always be, like, a woman who's about to, to get killed or something, you, you kind of go back. Because, again, with that 60s, you see it a lot, too, with, like, the early Bond films, that, that idea of like, it's slow impending doom. And so you, you make it a slow impending doom. So there's a chance for the hero to get out. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, I lost you there for a second too. I, I was just saying, I think part of that's because you go to, it's, it was like, a, it was a, a almost to a, a certain extent. It's like that. Yeah, I, I can see, can you hear okay. me? All right, hold, hold on just a second here, folks. We got to... Uh, got AJ, can you see me? I uh, can't see you. I can hear you. Can you hear me? Don't worry, I'm going to cut around this. Just let me know you can hear me. Yo, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Jump, jump out and jump back in if you need to. I'll just cut around it. Hello? Hello? Just jump out and jump back in. It's all good.
Attention. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? I can hear you. You just let me know you can hear me. Testing one two. Testing one two. Batman. Batman. Batman, Batman, can you hear me, Mr. Belser, Batman? Hello, 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 hello. Log out and log back in if you need to, Batman. Hello, 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 hello. It's a good thing I'm cutting around this. This would be horrible for people to have to listen to. Oh, Mr. Belser, what have you done today? Do, 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 do. Hello, hello. Hello, my friends, hello. It's good to need you so and to hear you say hello. Hip hop to the hip hop hoes, all you motherfuckers who should have known. Mr. Besser, where are you? Where are you? Mr. Mr. Besser, where are you? Where are you? Where are you?
Hello. 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 Can you hear me? Oh, yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Cool. I can hear you. Yeah, I, I can hear you the whole time you're cutting out. Don't worry about it. I'm just going to cut around this shit, so nothing to worry about there. All right, so the thing I was talking about was the con well, well, we'll need to we'll need to drop back into it. So um, why don't we just start? You just say, "All right, sorry about the technical difficulty," and then you just rock and roll with where you were. All right, cool. All right, folks. Sorry about the technical difficulty there. Like we're still working on this shit, but we'll try to get it out to you. But like I was saying, get uh, one thing about Gotham City, what? <laughs> I was gonna say, as soon as we get some more money, we won't have technical difficulties. Yeah, goddamn it, they have a staff <laughs> with equipment. Hey, I will say, I will say on the positive note, uh, within the next week or two here, we're gonna have a have a better microphone to you. So between the two of us, even if we got to keep doing this shit where we're not in the same place. It's gonna at least sound better because uh, the, the same mic I got, I got a, a, a one that looks and sounds exactly the same for you. So we'll uh, we'll even this out and hopefully uh, clean up the audio here. So for uh, for all our loyal fans, thanks for sticking with us. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. Okay. So like I was saying, conveyor belts. So <laughs> usually, uh, like both Batman or Robin or or one of the other. We end up on a conveyor belt or some other ridiculous type of death trap. Uh, and then, of course, it would uh, have the narrator. Is this the end of our heroes? Will they defy their death-defying death trap? And they always end up with the uh, tune in tomorrow. Same that time, same that channel. And then, of course, freeze frame. We go back. Uh, and then, of course, uh, one thing about the opening credits of the next episode, they were showing like a little recap of the previous episodes, so I'm like, hey, this is what happened. This is what happened. And then we use, like, stock frames and shit, like, Batman and Robin. Yeah. They're in school. Yeah. Catwoman's on the loose. <laughs> Aunt Harriet's scared. <laughs> Wait. The burst is yet to come. And then they start into the theme song again. Yeah. And that would have, that's how they start the second episode. And, uh, well, yeah, like I said, usually, uh, in order to save themselves some ridiculous, either some ridiculous gadget or some ridiculous fact that Batman's would be used to help them escape. Like the craziest one I heard was like, it was in like this chamber where like amplified sound like was fucking with them. So Batman uh, learned the exact frequency of the glass in there and made a weird ass like note and broke the glass because he had perfect pitch. Well, and that and that's what I that's what I was getting to before you cut out about the whole conveyor belt thing is that it's like in some ways they were they were a victim of their time in that because like you were talking about before the influence from the Lone Ranger it's that whole idea of the damsel in distress right they tie up the lady and leave her on a train track or like you jump over to the early incarnations of of James Bond it was always something to kind of have the slow moving impending doom towards your your uh, protagonist and then they have because it, it, it creates some time and space. For both the protagonist and for the audience to solve for the problem, which is kind of one of those. Yeah, the uh, uh, the shift from Austin Powers, the un unnecessarily slow-moving dipping mechanism. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, the un unnecessary, like you, if you were to watch it, and it's one of those things we watch it today. You're like, why doesn't he just walk over and shoot him? Right? You you have the Scotty moment where you're like, no, we'll just shoot him and then we'll go have fun. Yeah. No, that's not the way. This yeah, yeah, yeah. What are you feeding him? 
we'll just kill. <laughs> we'll just leave him here, and I'm gonna walk away, and you know, just assume everything went to plan. What's wrong with that? No, 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 no we're not gonna do that. I'm gonna place him in an easily escapable situation involving an overly elaborate and exotic death. <laughs> yeah, but it it would be shit like that, man. Like uh. Like then they would escape, they would resume their investigation. They usually have one more fight and the episode would be resolved. And they would usually have some like tongue cheek little joke at the end where Batman would be like, <laughs> like, yeah, I'm not Batman. Like, yeah, no. That'd, that'd be like saying me and Robin are Batman, uh, me and uh Dick are Batman and Robin. <laughs> they usually do some sort of Aunt Harriet or whatever. So and that that'd be you more or less the end of the episode. Now the villains themselves usually would have like a bunch of henchmen whose names would be associated with the villain. So if I can like a, it'd be like a, a Joker, he had like a, a bunch of joke themed like henchmen, like it would be like Punch, it would be like Judy. Uh, uh, then the Catwoman, uh, Catwoman's henchmen would be like different types of cats, like uh, Phalanx, uh, Lynx. You know, shit like that. And the penguins shit would be like different types of birds or different types of like aquatic animals. That would be their code name. Yeah. So like, hey, octopus or hey, squid, you know, that shit. And the Riddler's people, the Riddler, the Riddler's shit was a little more inconsistent because like he didn't really have like, it was a bunch of bad guys with question marks around the world. So like he would just kind of get away with fucking henchmen he could. Yeah. Uh, but uh, <laughs> it was just such a weird show. But like, uh, but in terms of the actual premiere itself, uh, the show premiered on Wednesday, January second, nineteen sixty-six, and grabbed a forty-nine percent uh, audience share. The following night, the conclusion got a fifty-nine audience share. So it actually made it one of the most successful TV debuts of all time. Yeah. So, well. You know, well, and, and just as long as we're starting to get a little more towards the filmmaking side, one of one of the innovations that you see in uh, in the Batman series, um, and, and I honestly I can't really think even it's partly because it is such a um, such a visually iconic style to use, but I can't really think of any any shows recently anyway, and, and I can't think of very many shows ever that have used it. But one of the one of the keys that they used whenever they came with the villain got changed. So they, they had line, and so if you're not familiar with, with filmmaking as much, Dutch angles at about a 45 degree angle. So you normally you spend a bunch of time and energy when you're setting up your shot to make sure everything's level so it doesn't look doesn't look weird to the audience. You know, you want to make sure you have level planes that you're working on because if it's tilted an angle or two, it's kind of off-putting. But they would intentionally to try to make the, the villains seem even more villainous, uh, so to speak, they'd kick the, the camera angle to about a 45 or so, something extreme to really throw off. So even though for the actors and everyone working uh, in the scene, in the space, in the, the, the villain's hideout specifically, um, even though they're constantly working on what would be a level plane for them, for the audience, it's constantly this weird 45, 35 degree angle where they're, they're moving all over the place. They kind of look strange and, and off-putting. So it was, in a way, I mean, you can argue whether it's cheating or not, but it, it certainly puts the audience in the frame of, okay, this place we're at, these people are, there's something not right about them. And it's, it's kind of a they were able to get away with it. Like I said, not very many, if any shows have ever been able to pull off. Certainly not on as consistent basis as the Batman uh, series did. Yeah. Now, uh, one of the uh, truly campy elements of the show, which you actually alluded to a little bit earlier, 
is the Batman Batman's mini crime fighting gadgets who usually be ridiculous sounding shit, but it would have the name Bat attached to it, like uh, <laughs> uh, like shark repellent bat spray, the bat computer, extra strong bat knockout gas. You know what I'm saying? And like, actually, I remember one of the stupidest fucking inventions that he had was a bat alphabet <laughs> soup reader. <laughs> we literally, he had a thing of alphabet soup as a clue, and he actually fed the alphabet soup into the computer to figure out what the clue was. <laughs> I always liked the bat copter. <laughs> yeah, we had, he had the Batmobile, the bat cycle, the bat copter. Uh, and the Bat Boat. Now, the Bat Copter and the Bat Boat are actually both props from the movie, which we're going to get into a little bit later. And they were use the footage from the movie in the episode sometimes or whatever. Uh, and, like, yeah, it's still cool. And then the thing about it is, there were people that actually took care of the Bat Copter. You had a crew yeah. for the Bat Copter. Alfred, call here to the hangar. Tell them to get the Bat Copter ready. <laughs> And there are literally people who are aware that somebody is bankrolling this. They, nobody asks any questions. They just like get the backcopter ready. Which my favorite, my favorite thing about the backcopter was it was basically the same model helicopter for Mash. It was that big bubble dome copter. I'm, I'm not familiar enough with with helicopters to be able to say the exact model, but but that's what it was. It was basically like that that helicopter from from Mash, that 1950s model. That that had like all this ridiculous black and red stuff stuck on the side of it to make turn it from a helicopter into a bat copter. And they didn't really do anything to make it look like yeah, they, they put bat wings on the helicopter. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, it was just. <laughs> <laughs> all right, now uh, just a couple of real quick facts about Batman. I'm actually using a book I got at Barnes and Noble a few uh, a few years back. It actually was like a guide to the Batman 66 series. I've always, always read like every once in a while just for entertainment. But like since we're doing this show, I thought be what the hell. Now, uh, one fact is that Batman's identity has actually been exposed four times in the show. Uh, the first time was with Egghead. He actually deduced it through logic. But apparently his uh, electro thought transfer changed his mind about the idea. But he actually figured out that uh, Batman... Uh, he actually, the clues were that Batman had to be a person that was a millionaire and doesn't have to work because crime time is a, a particularly expensive house. Uh, he illuminated all. He, uh, he illuminated all the different um, uh, different things. Where like he he observed that Batman had to be right-handed. He also ruled out anybody with an accent. And he said, aside from a couple of aging rock and roll singers, Bruce Wayne was the only one who was athletically inclined enough to be Batman. So he actually figured it out. Uh, also, the second time, King Tut figured it out. Actually, King Tut figured it out twice. Hmm. And one time, he actually built the Batmobile and like kind of followed it to whatever. And uh, also, the, the second time, he actually mined the Bat the Bat Cave, not knowing it was the Bat Cave. And yeah, same shit. But because of the uh, nature of his particular illness, he just got hit in the head and forgot everything. Which I'm going to get into a little bit later with King uh, Also, the last time they mentioned it, Commissioner Gordon himself actually figured it out. He was like, he was like hypnotized by a villain called The Siren by John Collins. Mm-hmm. But Alfred is the one that hit him up with some bat sleep and he completely forgot everything. 
So kudos to Alfred. And, and again, every one of those times, um, Alfred was actually helping, not hindering. He wasn't giving up. <laughs> this is down the most helpful Alfred. The best. Like, yeah, he had so many yeah, he had so many skills that we use for adventures and shit. Alfred yeah. was dope. No, he was he was killer, man. Yeah. Now let's talk about eligible bachelor Bruce Wayne. Now he's a millionaire philanthropist. He's got like this stately home and a seemingly endless amount of fucking free time. Uh, and the thing about it is, like, uh, a bunch of fucking socialites, like, pretty much every woman on the show is attracted, immediately attracted to either Bruce Wayne or Batman. More often, Batman. Like, all the, like, all the, like, the malls, the, like, the female villains or the bad guys, whatever, they'll instantly be attracted to Batman. Like, who the fuck you? You're such a square. <laughs> like, like, it, like it's, it's, it's just funny how, like, you know, all these people, like, instantly got on Batman, you know what I'm saying? I'm talking about his magnificent physique with, like, virtually no muscle bones, you know, <laughs> shit like that, you know? <laughs> and also, let's go ahead and get into Robin, the boy wonder. You know, he's, like, 25, <laughs> but he's a, but he was a ward of the state, apparently. He was, it was, uh, he was, a uh, it was the first, uh, millennial, apparently, ever, but, uh... <laughs> He was, yeah. um, he was staying home at 25 like so many of us had to. Yeah, so Robin you know, would have, like, he would be, the, you know, the kid, pretty much the kid that, you know, is used to have the young audience identify with hanging around with Batman and shit. And, you know, every time Robin would be frustrated with some kind of subject, Bruce would always remind him, like, you know, whatever is important to the world, you have to be a good citizen, man. And also, like, uh, he always called him old chum. But, like, uh, he would always, like, uh, get on him for, like, grammar. He would get on him for, like, uh, <laughs> he would get on him for, like, uh, you know, pedestrian safety, shit like that. Be careful, Dick. Pedestrian safety. Gosh, you're right, Batman. <laughs> <laughs> really silly shit like that, man. And uh, uh, also, I got a couple quotes here. <clears throat> uh, when, <laughs> oh, man. Uh, when you're talking about like learning different languages, uh, gosh, Bruce, I don't, I don't know why I gotta learn whatever language. Well, of course, Dick, languages can be the world of peace. I mean, if we spoke each other's tongues, perhaps the scourge of war would be ended forever. Gosh, you're right, Bruce. When you put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> you love this, you love this, uh, uh, Robin impression. So, sorry, you want to say that again? I say you're loving this Robin impression. It's the greatest. I love it. You got to keep it going. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, Dick Grayson, uh, when he wasn't Robin, he was actually uh, student council president at Woodrow Roosevelt High School. <laughs> uh, and also, in terms of some of the other things that Dick learned, he was able to speak French, Italian, Latin, Greek, and Spanish. Uh, he was a pianist, a tubist, and a drummer. And he actually, at one point, uh, played the lead role in that school's production of Macbeth. So Dick Grayson was learning a lot for a very young age. You know, like I say, he's 25, at least. Help me remember, in the show, was he supposed to be 25, or was he supposed to be a high school student? Oh, no, it's just like, you know, he, he's clearly in his 20s, but he's supposed to be like a teenage. They always refer to him as a boy or a kid. So he's supposed to be like either a teenage, pretty much a teenager. Well, but that's, that's a problem across 
tour with pretty much every show that has to do with high schoolers. It, almost as a rule, they don't hire anyone if they can help it, unless they're an emancipated minor. And it's been that way forever because so many restrictions on shooting with kids, it's almost impossible. But yeah, I mean, out of all the out of all the teenagers quote, that they've cast, he's one of the oldest looking teenagers ever. Actually, I found it here since we're talking about it. Apparently, he turned 16 in the, uh, the third season of the show. So, okay. Dick Grayson was so Dick Grayson was supposed to be at least 15, 16 years old. Now, one thing that Dick Grayson, of course, most famous for is his holy exclamations. Yeah. Holy whatever, man. <laughs> so, apparently, uh, Robin delivered over 400 different utterances of holy or whatever throughout the show. The first one was Holy Barracuda. The last one was Holy Skulltap. <laughs> the shortest one was Holy Ass and Holy Fog. The longest one was Holy Contributing to the Delinquency of Minors. <laughs> the most mundane one was Holy Smoke. And the most arcane one was, this is, this, oh no, I gotta, get, I gotta get rid of it, this one. Holy Price's Collection of Etruscan Slots. <laughs> But yeah, all, apparently he did over 400 different versions of holy whatever. But you know, whenever that that's become a piece of pop culture too. Whenever somebody does like some uh, surprised by something or trying to make a joke, they'd be like, "Holy whatever, Batman! Holy, you know, holy!" I've seen it on Friends. I've seen it on like you know, Simpsons, Family Guy. You know, it's been everywhere. Oh, for sure. So, yeah. Uh, oh yeah, Alfred. Let's get Alfred real quick. So Alfred, of course, like I said, he was he's held holding forth for both Bruce Wayne and Batman. Now Alfred himself is the only person who knows he he, he has one distinction over everybody else on the show. Alfred is the only person that knows not only who Batman and Robin is, but who also who Batgirl is, which we'll get into a little bit later. But yeah, Alfred is the only one that knows who all three of them is. Uh, and in terms of like some of the shit he would do. Alfred uh, is an accomplished pencil. He actually uses it in one episode where he uh, holds off the Joker <laughs> with a golf club. Fencing the Joker with a golf club would be crazy. Uh, he's also an uh, expert archer. Apparently his nickname when he was uh, in school was the William Tell of Liverpool. <laughs> so. <laughs> oh, Alfred, man. And uh, Alfred, uh, whatever, <laughs> whatever uh, Alfred would go on missions or whatever, he always wanted to go on missions. So, like, uh, when he did, he had uh, his own little vehicle, uh, the Alf Cycle. Oh, yeah, that's right. The yeah. Alf Cycle, yeah. <laughs> Pretty much a bicycle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, he had, like, a little radio on it and all that shit. Like, he was, he was so excited to use his Alf Cycle. <laughs> and also on the show they also uh, established that he had a bunch of different uh, relatives that looked exactly like him uh, one of them was a cousin named Egbert who was a night watchman for a guy from like Waterworks uh, he also had a another cousin Cuthbert who was like uh, a taxi who drove a taxi in London or whatever and also like whenever Alfred would be used he would usually go undercover uh, he would be like an English gentleman, or he would be like a janitor. He was at one, at one point he was actually uh, the he was supposed to be the world's oldest hippie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
and like all these different things, whatever. But yeah, freaking Alfred. Hey, but like I said, the most the biggest contribution that Alfred would do is that whenever somebody would stumble onto the fact that hey, Batman, um, Batman Bruce Wayne might be the same person, Alfred would put on that fucking bat costume and you know get in Batmobile and pose as Batman. But like, I don't know. He can't possibly. He can't possibly be Batman. Oh, that's Batman right there with Robin. Bruce Wayne's right here. You're a liar. Because <laughs> it looks so much alike. <laughs> yeah, and Alfred was like so tall and gangly. Yeah. And seeing him in the costume, he's like, wow, really? You really fooled y'all, huh? <laughs> and then also, Alfred had a mustache, a gray mustache. Like, how did you not notice that? It's, it's the eyebrows, man. I'm telling you, the eyebrows on the bat suit just throw everybody off. <laughs> yeah. All right, so Aunt Harriet. Aunt Harriet Cooper, who apparently lived at Wayne Manor looking after both Bruce and Dick. Uh, uh, apparently they established that uh, Miss Cooper is actually Dick's uh, aunt. Dick's aunt. I don't know why they brought her with him, but whatever. Hey. But she was always kind of this old fuddy duddy uh, trying to teach uh, Dick the proper things of society or whatever, some shit like that. And like she was always like, she was so easily fooled. It would be ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The other thing, too, that's like, that doesn't make sense at the beginning is if he's got an aunt who can take care of him, how is he a ward of the state and how is he being watched by Bruce Wayne? Like, it totally undercuts her whole position as the aunt, right? It's like she's got to have like some sort of a drug problem or like a mental deficiency if she can't be, you know, his his uh, guardian. I mean, she clearly has a mental deficiency. She can't figure out that fucking Batman and Bruce, Batman, Bruce, and Robin and Dick are the same fucking people. Well, right. Even though, know, even like, despite the fact that she with them every day and they speak to her in the exact same voices as Batman and Robin, and she can't figure out who the fuck they are, and then all the lame ass excuses with the fiction and the goddamn art collecting and goddamn stamps. And now we're going some bullshit excuses. Oh, uh, we're going to get a rare stamp. See ya. <laughs> or uh, we're going to go uh, watch some birds. There's a there's an albatross that we've been like hunting for like a couple of days now. See ya. What they uh, hey, uh, Dick, we got uh, Dick. We got to go to that symposium on uh, Spanish language uh, fucking artifacts. What they should have done? They should have made her Alfred's wife. That would have made way more sense. Like, or or just the maid. Like, it didn't even have to be married to Alfred, but just the maid that like she kind of takes care of the house and that sort of thing. But her being Dick's aunt, like, it doesn't it doesn't make sense. It's just taking care of her. like crazy. This <laughs> is ridiculous. But whatever. It's still a great show, so continue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, I'm just that shit like crazy, bro. I'm like, you things be so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, the one time that Aunt Harriet actually did help uh, was actually a, a falling apart by Marsha, Queen of Diamonds. Um, she actually, the whole plot of uh, the episode was that Marshall was trying to marry Batman to get a hold of his famous uh, Bat Diamond, which apparently everybody knew, even though the Bat Cave is secret. So she, he posed, so Aunt Harry actually posed as uh, Batman's wife, uh, Henrietta Tolinson from uh, Gloucestershire. <laughs> so pretty much like 
Uh, Rock, no, Batman, you can't marry Marshall Queen of Diamonds. That would make you a bigamist. <laughs> it was so damn stupid, man. So fucking stupid. All right, so uh, get into that now. Let's go ahead and get into the Gotham Police Department. <laughs> These motherfuckers. Uh, of course, it's uh, pretty much the the vast majority of the uh, Gotham Police Department consists of a bunch of extras, <laughs> Commissioner Gordon, and Chief O'Hara. That's basically it. And uh, apparently, uh, when it comes to regular pedestrian duties, they're fine in terms of like uh, police department. But when it comes to any other supervillains, yeah, they are automatically and immediately out of their depth. And they automatically look to that damn blue phone. I mean, that red phone, and be like, oh my god, we need him now. I love, I love uh, the dude that played uh, Commissioner Gordon. I think his name is Neil Hamilton because the jowls. And he, and he, always, he was always good, like putting a button on a fucking speech. I don't know who he is under that key, but I know we need him, and we need him now. <laughs> Man, oh yeah, but the funniest episode to me of uh, Commissioner Gordon and uh, Chief O'Hara was one episode where Batman and Robin were on the veil. You remember that one? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, they called the bad phone. Alfred, of course, Alfred answered the bad phone. Saying, uh, yeah, uh, Batman and Robin ain't here right now. I think, I think Bruce is like out of town and Robin was on a date. And it, and it was like, Catastrophic, unprecedented. Batman and Robin not available. Do you know what this means, Chief? Oh, I'm a, <laughs> if you're thinking what I'm a, <laughs> are you thinking what I think you're thinking? Yes, precisely, Chief O'Hara. The moment we've dreaded for years has arrived. This time, we're going to have to solve a case ourselves. <laughs> that is so fucking funny. I'm like, wow. <laughs> Actually, the, the dread that came over both of their faces was hilarious. But that's the thing, again, like that was so great about this show is that it, it's the most ridiculous setup, the most ridiculous way of shooting stuff, the most ridiculous crimes, and everybody everybody was playing the straight man and it was just made it that much better it was it was insane the, pr- the the production value you got out of them taking it so damn seriously yes they did man um now going into uh of the two chief o'hara who was a walking irish stereotype <laughs> a little bit yeah uh he was constantly having you know, the uh different you know, Irish explanations. Saints preserve us. Run on the creed. Saints alive. Begora. That's my favorite Begora. Begora. He used that a lot. Jumping cutfish. Like he was, he was always, always had some kind of little like exclamation when it was like coming to like whoever the theme of the villain is. Like for the penguin, jumping cutfish. For, uh, uh, for Mr. Freeze, shimmy timbers or suffering icicles. Shit like that. <laughs> oh, Chief O'Hara. Uh, okay, so now going to the Stately Wayne Manor, which is all really nice house that they use, whatever, by the way. Um, 
now in terms of like uh talking about Bruce Wayne's family, they don't show Batman's origin on this show. Um in fact, uh Batman's origin as we know it, you know, the whole thing with you know his parents, the movie theater, Crime Alley, the the, the dude the gunshots and shit. The first time that was ever shown was actually on the episode of fucking the Super Friends. Oh yeah. Like, uh, yeah, and uh, actually, more specifically, the last version, the Superpowers Team Galactic Guardians from like 1985 or 1984. Uh, and that was the first time they ever showed that origin. And then when they used the whole part with the gunshot, they didn't use a gunshot, they used a, a, a crack of lightning to like kind of cover up the fact that, yeah, this guy has a gun. And then they used the, uh, yeah, they, sh- they showed the gun, they showed the thunder crack, and then it's over. You, you don't see their bodies, but yeah, that's pretty much the origin of Batman. It, but, yeah, he, yeah. It matter, that wasn't until they did the Keaton Batman, right? The breaking of the pearls. Live action wise, yes, that was the first time live action that they showed the origin of Batman. Right, but I was just asking uh, in the in the Super Friends one, they didn't. Uh, if I remember right, they didn't show the pearls, even though it was it was animated. They didn't show the pearls, right? Yeah, they didn't show the pearls. They didn't show the dead bodies, and like still when they were trying to shoot. Or show like those show that they were about to be shot. It was a bolt of lightning. It wasn't the actual gunshot. Uh, now, like I said, going back to Wayne Manor, the only time he actually mentions his origin is in the first the, the pilot episode where he uh, refers to like uh, some they're talking about like a uh, uh, rehabilitation programs for criminals, and he says something like, uh, "I wish the rehabilitation program existed when I was a child, when my parents were killed by dastardly criminals." That's the only time he ever mentions his origin. So, yeah, yeah, and like stately Wayne Manor, they all they only show one portrait of any member of uh Bruce's family. They never show his parents. They show like a great great grandfather, and they, the picture that hangs over the living room wall, fireplace, whatever. They usually have a safe behind it too. But yeah, that's the only time they actually show a relative of, of Bruce Wayne, and they actually show that he's a Yale man, and he's the one that found it, skull and bones. That's kind of cool. That is kind of cool, yeah. Uh, now, like I said, we talked about uh, the the, the, con- the whole thing with the bat, the, <laughs> the whole shit in the, uh, the study where they open up the fucking Shakespeare bus, take the coals, go down to the bat cave. Now, the bat cave itself, so many damn innovations in the bat cave. Uh, like I said, exactly 14 miles away from Gotham City. Uh, only a few people have actually been inside the bat cave, numerous villains. Uh, I know the penguin's been in there at least once. Uh, oh, I think the penguin's been in there twice. Uh, also, uh, one of the cat women has been in there. Um, I know King Tut's been in there, and commission of of the police force, Commissioner Gordon has been in there multiple times. So, yeah, it's it's not so secret, but it's still secret now. Like I said, all the different gadgets they got, they got the bat computer, the bat file, their atomic pile. They got a giant nuclear reactor in the middle of the goddamn thing. Uh, bat radar, bat chemical analyzer, bat all different types of weird shit. Uh, oh yeah, automatic battle law for detecting phone detecting. <laughs> you know I mean? No, you kind of what was that last one? The automatic battle law for detecting phone detecting equipment. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that one was pretty good. Yeah, man. Oh, <laughs> and then of course you know the bat, uh, the Batmobile, the Batmobile itself, which is dope. 
uh, just a dope innovation in its own right. It's actually uh, a concept car, the Lincoln uh, Futura, a one-off experimental concept uh, built by uh, Gia Body Works in 1954 for $250,000. Now, it was actually rebuilt by uh, auto customizer uh, George Barris, who put all the different paint and paint the black and put all the different, like, the, you know, the uh, rocket and all that shit. And George Barris is the guy that's responsible for all that. And, of course, turn, and of course, turn this, like, concept car into possibly one of the best damn TV cars of all time. You know what I'm saying? And, of course, the Batmobile had a bunch of different gadgets in it as well. They had the Bat Magnet, Bat Ram, Bat scope, uh, uh, the bat, the bat ray, which is basically a laser beam that came out the headlights, the bat, uh, superpower afterburner. Uh, they had a remote control ejector seat, uh, inflatable. Oh, yeah, the, this is the stupidest one the inflatable duplicate Batmobile. <laughs> is what I remember the exact episode, too. I think it was a shame, uh, when they had the cowboy villain chain. Where like uh they were go driving into like this western town, you see the Batmobile, there's like a bomb or like like mine or something like that. It blows up and then like all you see is like an outline of of Batmobile, like just feel like what happened to the Batmobile? Of course you didn't know about our inflatable Batmobile duplicate. Really? <laughs> you see the you see this stuff they it can it can drive and all this other shit and has duplicate like it's it's so ridiculous. Yeah, but you know what it, you know what it is. It's I think in a way it's like a wink and a nod to. Do you know about the what did they call it? It was like the the Ghost Army, uh, in yeah. forty was either forty three or forty four in England. They they got a bunch of a bunch of people who were essentially they'd been um, co opted from the film departments um, when when the war broke out, and they literally made like an inflatable army um, over in, uh, in England to, to screw with the Germans. So they, they think that the attack was going to come from a different part of England than it came from. So like they had giant inflatable tanks and all kinds of shit like that. So it looked, it looked real from a distance, but if you got up to it, they'd be like, Oh, okay. That's, that's not a real Sherman tank. That's, that's just a balloon. <laughs> like two guys could move it. It was ridiculous. That I think maybe if anything, because again, you got those guys after the war came back and then they're the head of the departments over here back in, you know, at Warner's and Fox and everywhere else, so I'm sure they had to be bringing some of the, some of the shit that they experienced with them to come up with a ridiculous idea like that. Because it's like it's like you said, it's like really inflatable back. <laughs> That's inflatable Batmobile is gonna throw you off that bad. Yeah, and also uh, what's the the emergency bat turn? Oh yeah. <laughs> 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 now this has been all before the Keaton one where they had the fucking where he had the grappling hook and hooked it onto like a goddamn uh pole. They had to do the long ass wide turn. Yeah. So uh, what happened with this Batmobile was that he would be speeding, he hit it, he would hit the bat shoots and it would do a complete like 180 turn like, in at high velocity. Yeah. And then of course being as conscientious as Batman is, he had the Batmobile uh, parachute pickup service. <laughs> so he would call them and they would pick up the bat shoots <laughs> and repack them so he could use them again uh, also uh, a lot of the villains have actually either stolen or been in the Batmobile uh, the Riddler the Penguin King Tut, Catwoman like, and then of course they always change the plates like for every season 
Uh, also, uh, among his other uh, vehicles, the Bat Cycle, which is actually a uh, modified Electroglide Harley Davidson with a full-size sidecar. Yeah. Now, now the original version had a sidecar, but then, like the part from the movie, they had a go kart. Remember that? Yeah. Which detached for no fucking reason. Hold on. Hold on. Okay. So, like, we're going to talk about the, the Batman 66 movie a little bit. So, okay. So, at one point, Batman gets the bat cycle. They go to the bat copter. Now, they ride together. Bat, uh, Bruce is in, uh, sorry, uh, Robin is in the sidecar, which doubles as a go kart. And right as they're about to arrive to the fucking uh, the helicopter, it splits in two. Like all of a sudden, he rides he rides the go kart, but he only rides go go kart like thirty feet. So it's completely unnecessary. But it looked cool. And it's just so that he can get on one side, and Batman can get on the other side. Like it was just like ridiculous. Uh, still, still the best bat cycle ever. I was gonna get a bat cycle. That's the one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also, uh, since we're talking about since we're talking about the bat copy, the bat copy itself is actually I actually got the uh, model here. It's a customized 1964 Bell 47G.3B.1. That's what it is. Okay. So, so if you ever wondered that. I mean, it's um, with those bat wings. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, uh, the uh, the most thing, the thing that the uh, bat copter is most famous for, especially in the movie, is uh, during a moment where like, <laughs> where Batman is attacked by a shark. <laughs> Batman dips into the water. Yeah, and then uh, like he's attacked by this shark for some fucking reason, and then uh, he, he radios up to Robin to hand him the bat, <laughs> the uh, shark repellent bat spray. <laughs> and of course, that would be like one of the most famous bat gadgets ever. Like they've reused that so many times. They actually just reused it recently on Harley Quinn, the shark repellent bat spray. You know what? You know what's hilarious about it though. So like back then, it was just like it was just like some ridiculous version of of like like bear mace or something like that like it was something that it was it was legitimately the more you looked at it it was it was probably something on par with with science fiction and i was watching something just to be totally geeky here for five seconds i was watching something a little bit ago and they've actually they're experimenting now with a real shark repellent and i guess what it is what they can use is there's some enzyme that um, is inside of a, a shark's liver. And so it's specific uh, to, to a variety of like, you know, whatever it is, like a great white or something like that. And if they put that enzyme out, the, the, the shark smells it in the water, picks up in the water like it'd pick up blood. And that'll actually scare the shit out of them because they think that one of their own kind has been killed in the area. And so if there's something around that can kill it, they don't want to be anywhere near it. So there's, there's actually, it's kind of one of those funny things where it's like, life imitating art this ridiculous concept of a of a bat of a shark repellent bat spray it only took like 45 years but here we are all this time later it's like shit no they actually gotta have like an actual if they really wanted to sell it they should market it as a shark repellent bat spray and i think they could they could do very very well if nothing else geeks would buy it i know i'd buy it yeah and also another weird thing about that whole get down is actually one of a rack of different uh sprays and repellents that they yeah. had in the ship. It was actually shark repellent, barracuda repellent, <laughs> whale repellent, 
and manta ray repellent. So it wasn't alone. Yeah. And then, of course, the bat boat, which, like I said, came uh, another innovation from the movie. Uh, they introduced it in the movie, and then, like I said, they just used footage from the movie on a bunch of different occasions on the TV show. So it, can't, it turned out to be you know, pretty helpful and shit. Hey, it wasn't a Howard Hughes production. They can duplicate shots as much as they want. Yeah. Now, let's go ahead and get into the goddamn bat, uh, the Batman, Batman's most valuable, valuable asset, <clears throat> the utility belt. Mm-hmm. Uh, the goddamn utility belt had, pretty much had every conceivable gadget needed for all possible predicaments in, in facing different bad guys. They had, uh, of course, the most famous one and the most uh, used one was the Batarang. They had Batarangs for, like, swinging on shit. And actually, he just had one where he was just bludgeoning people with it. Yeah. Like, this big, hard-ass Batarang, he just told somebody to knock their ass out. <laughs> so there's that one, and then he would have... You know, like back claws for like climb for like climbing buildings. A uh, three second back bolt combination to scrambler. Uh, his back communicator, which is like a radio. Uh, he had different vials uh, of a radio called bat sleep, which he used to knock people out all the time. And apparently, it's like instant too. Like uh, I just need to get you a little bit of bat sleep and out done. Also known as chloroform. <laughs> yeah. He also had uh, the opposite back wake, which will wake him up. <clears throat> and the, the stupidest one, which I still don't, don't know why the fuck he has this in the utility belt, it was what Mr. Freeze episode where he had, or like, it was like they had like a lost seal or some shit like that. And it was like hungry. So he put out a bad fucking uh, anchovy from his belt. <laughs> So you had the intro, and then like, uh, one can never be too unprepared for you know whatever crime is. Like, like really, you had an intro, and you carrying it. You, you have all this futuristic shit, and you're carrying an intro. Although you got you got to say though, like again, talking about stupid. So a lot of people, again, if you haven't seen the show, you might be missing the 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 bat uh, the batarang that with the grappling hook that they'd use to climb buildings. That one's one of the one of the dumbest because when they'd climb the building, they they'd basically rotate okay. the camera on its side and they'd set it up so that they'd literally be standing at a ninety degree angle off whatever building and walking up as they're pulling themselves up the up the rope. It was the most ridiculous shit that you've ever seen in your life, and it was absolutely yeah that, yeah, that gag and then also the gag with that is they would have a window and they would have like they would have a guest star. <laughs> they come in and they say, hey, what's going on, Batman Robin? A lot of it was like time specific, but like a lot of it was like people that turned out to be, you know, you know, world famous uh, stars. Uh, the very first person to do it, funny enough, was Jerry Lewis. Oh, that's that was the very first person to do that gag. <laughs> and then he also had Sam Davis Jr., Edward G. Robinson, Dick Clark. Fucking uh, Ted Cassidy is from the Adams family. Uh, apparently, there was, social, there was like a society columnist back in the day named Susie Nickabot did one. And this is my favorite one. Uh, Van Williams and Bruce Lee is the, the Green Hornet and Kato. <laughs> they did the window gag. Jeez. It's so ridiculous. It's so great. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> so apparently in total they did uh 32 overall back clients uh nine in the first season 20 in the second season two in the third season and one in the movie and then also at one particular time alfred actually did a climb once i missed that one alfred did a climb yeah alfred did a climb in the back costume find that episode that's hilarious yeah uh also a couple other gadgets from the uh, from the utility belt the back compass uh he has some infrared eyeglasses that actually has some purpose yeah. uh his back zoom look uh the uh anti-mesmerizing uh back reflector which is like a little mirror uh and this is the most far-fetched like as far as as far-fetched as the anchovy is this one is even more far-fetched he would bring out a fucking two foot tall bat shield to protect him from bullets <laughs> and then when he was done with it he would flip it and like put it like back like like i like, guess like like it was just so ridiculous like that thing's like two feet tall how do you you can't walk around with that <laughs> yeah, it's pretty insane. Oh, uh, he also had a backerchief. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One particular episode, Catwoman was crying, and he put out his backerchief. You know, <laughs> it actually labeled. And of course, like, that's another thing that they would have on the show. It would label everything. So of course, they had the label on it, backerchief. Oh my god, it's just so such a silly shit. Oh yeah, and then of course we gotta talk about Batman dancing. <laughs> if you wanna call yeah. it, I rewatched the pilot episode. He he dances in the first episode. I know. <laughs> the, and then of course the 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 uh, they never actually gave a name to the dance, so they called it the Bat Chiefly. <laughs> yeah, we did the thing with the eyes and shit, like yeah, crossing his hands over the eyes, and like yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Batman d- dances at least twice. Once uh, during the first episode when he was like under the influence of a uh, spike orange juice. Yeah. And the second time when he uh, under the influence of King Tut, he was like a made his uh, dance as a slave, but he turned out he was actually just bullshitting. Uh, <laughs> Still, you know, <laughs> so fucking silly. All right, now we talked about Batman and Robin and the Batcave and Alfred and all the other people. Let's talk about the fucking villains. Yes. All right. First one on the list, the Riddler, who actually was the very first villain of the very first show, was the Riddler, played by Frank Gorshin. Yep. Now. Fun fact about Frank Gorshin, of the people that played the villains, he was actually the only one that was actually a Batman fan. Apparently, he'd been a fan of the comics since he was a kid. Uh, now, as far as, of course, the Riddler, as we know, his whole get down is he would like, uh, do these crimes, and he would leave these ridiculous riddles for Batman to solve in order to get to him again. You know, that's kind of his compulsion, is that he has to leave behind riddles. Uh, I, I got a couple here. Uh, when is a man like a machine gun? Uh, when he's a Riddler. <laughs> uh, the very first, uh, yeah, the very first joke, uh, the very first riddle that he did on the show. Why is an orange like a bell? I don't, I don't remember this one. What 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 was the answer? 
uh, they both must be peeled. <laughs> I didn't get that shit until I learned. I looked it up. Apparently, for those of you who don't know, when you peel a bell, it's like a like a like a like a like almost like a system or a sequence of rings. That's what you call a peel. So, yeah. So I, I, I didn't get that either. Like initially, I had to look it up. Uh, another good riddle that I like uh, was this. Uh, uh, what goes up? Uh, what goes up white and comes down yellow and white? Remember that one, dude? I remember most of the riddles. Uh, an egg. Ah, okay, there you go. And also, uh, the oh yeah, it was like uh, there's oh yeah, yeah. um, oh yeah, there's three dudes on a boat and four cigarettes. How do they smoke? Oh yeah, yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's four, no, it's uh, three dudes on a boat. Four cigarettes and no matches. How do they smoke? What you do? You throw away one of the cigarettes and it becomes a cigarette lighter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the riddler, baby. <laughs> Let's see if I can look up a couple. I, I'm pretty sure I can look up a couple more of the riddler's fucking shit. But yeah, like I said, played initially by Frank Gorshin. Uh, actually, he's one of the few uh, villains uh, who actually played by multiple people. Because like, he was played also by uh, John Aston, Gomez Adams from the Adams family. Uh, there was one particular incident where like Frank Gorshin was unavailable, so John Aston fucking stepped in for like uh, like a uh, like an episode or two during the second season. Uh, and like, and apparently, uh, uh, what's his name? Frank Gorshin was pissed because he's like, you can just wait. Like, I wanted to keep doing it, but yeah, he was very upset about that. Uh, but yeah, oh yeah, here's a couple of them. All right, so, uh, uh, when is a, oh yeah, uh, what is this? Uh, hmm. oh yeah, how many sides are in, how many, uh, how many sides has a circle? Two, inside and out. Uh, this is a stupid one. Which president of the United States wore the biggest hat? The one with the biggest head. <laughs> what has neither nails or bones, but has four fingers and a thumb? Four fingers and a thumb. I don't know. A glove. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is one of my favorite ones. When is a person like a piece of wood? I'm guessing when it's dead, but you tell me. No, when it's a ruler. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and the last one I'm going to do, uh, what is it that no man wants, but no man wants to lose? You're going to have to tell me. A lawsuit. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Ridiculous. Most ridiculous. Oh, yeah, and also, uh, yeah it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. So actually, uh, apparently, uh, the, he was actually the Riddler himself is actually the most common villain of the first season. He he appeared in the most episodes. He was in eight episodes of the first season. Like I said, when he was unavailable for the second season, John Ashton stepped in, and uh, actually, uh, Frank Gorshin returned for the third season where he actually had his last episode was him and Batman having a fight, in a boxing match in the ring. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Yeah. That was pretty good. Oh man. 
and it actually there's one episode that was actually a Riddler episode where they created a new character, the Puzzler. Uh, they only used it one time, but uh, yeah, there's there's the Riddler. Next one, big favorite of most people, the Penguin. <laughs> oh, Penguin. <laughs> <laughs> I always like the penguin as played by uh, the late great Burgess Meredith. Uh, the penguin uh, was more like straight laced than most of the villains in terms of like he was actually just a pretty much a uh, a gangster who would like play straight to cover his crimes. Now I like the person speaking. I like the uh, I think the penguin had the best plots of any of the villains because most of his plots usually have him like going straight or pretending to go straight or in some way humiliating Batman, like using the law against Batman. Yeah. He's just with the most clever. For sure. So, yeah. And uh, of, of those episodes, uh, the Penguin apparently appeared in 19 episodes. And uh, of course, it's played by Burgess Meredith. And like I said, one of them, he often would have like these fronts where he would like employ like to show that he's gone straight. I remember one where he had like Penguin Pictures production when he was a director. Uh, one where he like started an umbrella company, the KG Bird Umbrella Company. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then of course he uh, one which I really liked, which I, I thought was actually pretty clever. He opened up a restaurant called the Penguin's Nest, and uh, he had a very unique uh, thing of ordering food where the uh, the actual patrons who were all rich had to sign pieces of paper for the uh, chef to give him whatever they want. And he was going to use those uh, signatures in the forgery scheme. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that, that's a good one. Yeah, but his best one, and I, one of my favorite ones, is when he ran for mayor. Oh, yeah. That, and yeah, and that would have been crazy, too, because as a mayor, he could have could have totally controlled the police department. And yeah, that's actually what his plan was. And the funny part about it was, it's not that far from actual politics, though. All he did was like a bunch of like tricks and chicanery and shit, like fucking like dirty tricks, all the sensationalist shit. But uh, Batman played it straight and talked about the issues and shit. Nobody was voting for Batman, but everybody was voting for Penguin. Yeah. Like, even though it's very clear that this is a horrible choice, they just was voting for him anyway because he was, they were just dazzled by his shenanigans. Now, <laughs> I love, at one point, he actually has a debate with Batman. Like, they actually have a televised debate. And he actually, uh, he actually does make a good point. He's like, uh, now, which do you want, um, now, which man do you want to run Gotham City? A man like myself, who's always in the company of the law, or a man like Batman, who rubs elbows with the worst elements of the city, and who is undoubtedly a desperate criminal himself? <laughs> And then the special part about it is he was actually swaying people. Oh, yeah. Well, but I mean, that's that's the realism angle that came in. Again, part of what made the show so great is that even with all this outlandish ridiculousness, they still, everybody in it played it so straight and there was enough, just enough kernels of truth and everything that it, it allowed you to suspend disbelief and just enjoy it. And, of course, Pingy's uh, greatest asset is his... Uh, Seemingly endless supply of trick umbrellas. Yeah. 
Like, if you watch the show, he's had giant umbrellas. He's had little umbrellas. He's had bulletproof umbrellas. He's had, the most common one is the uh, the uh, umbrella that can, like, fire off, like, sweet gas and shit like that. And, of course, he's had, like, uh, umbrellas that can fire bullets. And he's he used umbrellas, to, you know, uh, to uh, obviously to escape as, like, a parachute and shit. It's just so ridiculous. <laughs> but, like, I always appreciated the penguins. Uh, like, the, the actual novelty of the penguin schemes actually made sense more than most of the other villains. Now, next up, the Joker. Cesar Romero. Cesar Romero, the Cloud Prince of Crime. These are some of his uh, nicknames. The Cloud Prince of Crime, the Sultan of Shenanigans, the Maharaja of Malfeasance. <laughs> the Joker. So, yeah, of course, played by the late great Cesar Romero. Uh, and of course, the most notable aspect of the whole get down with the Joker is that actor Cesar Romero refused to shave his trademark mustache in order to pay, play the Joker, instead, just caking the shit out of it with white paint. And cake they did, holy crap! Yeah, because, like, you know, for those of you who don't know, Cesar Romero before Batman was well known as, you know, uh, one of the famous, like, Latin lovers of the screen. Like, and one of his gits was his mustache. That Thick, you know, uh, the, the thick mustache he would have, you know what I'm saying? Like, that was his trademark, you know what I'm saying? Hey, mustache stays. You can dye everything else, but the mustache stays. And of course, he had like the craziest laugh as the Joker, too. So, I, like, this, that's kind of a, like, a get, that's kind of like a given that you have to have a crazy laugh to be the Joker. Now, one thing that they do a lot of in terms of the Joker, like, they actually mention more of his, like, past than most incarnations. I did not show his origin, uh, but they mentioned at one point that apparently he's a hypnotist, and apparently he's a polymath, and he usually, like, most of his, most of his um, crimes usually involve larceny or his desire to confuse, confound, or control Gotham City. Uh, like some of his papers, uh, he enrolled uh, the city's millionaires into his art classes so he can kidnap them. Yep. Uh, he uh, demanded Gotham City and the rest of the world defended uh, the surrender to fake Martians that he invented, including a fake UFO. And uh, <laughs> he actually at one point was going to serve Batman and Robin to a giant clan as hors d'oeuvres. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, and then another one was uh, turning the uh, water supply of Gotham City into strawberry jam for ransom. <laughs> And, of course, the craziest part about it, though, is you see uh, Chief O'Hara in the shower, and then, like, he's like, strawberry jam is, like, no water comes out. He's, like, stuffing the strawberry jam, which is so weird. <laughs> but he's, uh, there's one weird, there's one very weird, like, uh, shot that he had that I, they still never really explained. Uh, there's one episode where he had, like, this box that could, like, turn back time or whatever, like, with a, with a key and shit. And apparently, the box itself was just a box. He was just hypnotizing people and turning back time. Like, how the fuck did he accomplish that? Mm-hmm. Like, like he, but he always had this weird, like, he, his, of course, his get down was like this bunch of joke rig gadgets he would have. Like, one of them, of course, is buzzer that would, like, would usually shock the shit out of people. Uh, didn't kill him like the Jack Nicholson one, but he would shock the shit out of them. Like, shock him usually into unconsciousness. And of course, the funniest one was he had his own utility belt at one point. He was just like so fed up with Batman, like 
I was getting him that he had his own utility belt with like sneezing gas and smoke bombs and oh yeah, confounding confetti. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, they can could- like you throw something in the air, and then a bunch of just confetti would just come out of nowhere. <laughs> so, oh yeah, and then another one. Um, he uh, for some reason wanted to uh, become the Surf King, <laughs> and he had a device called the Surfing Experience and Ability Transfer Transfer <laughs> But he stole like the surfing abilities of like this top surfer, so he could be the king of the surf. It is so ridiculous. And of course, like copying Batman again, he had his own Joker mobile. It's basically a, a souped up Model T, like his own little, uh, uh, get, uh, it's like little gimmicks on there. Like all day was purple and he had like his own face and shit. But yeah, the Joker mobile, that's a real thing. Well, and that's those like winks and a nod towards what eventually became the killing joke. Yeah. Or you have, you know, did Batman create me? Did I create Batman? The chicken yeah. The chicken and the egg, yeah. You got to say, yeah, like, uh, like <laughs> I, you got to say, yeah, like, I, I created you. You got to say, you created me. Like, I'll try to shoot you. Yep. <laughs> All right, next villain, Mr. Freeze. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, this is one of the villains that was played by multiple people. And they actually changed up his origin for the show uh, because, in fact, prior to this, his name in the comic books was Mr. Zero. And they didn't really give him much of an origin at all. But I think the show really established who he was. Apparently, in the show, he's an evil scientist named Dr. Schimmel who was exposed to, like, an instant freeze experiment uh, during a previous struggle with Batman. And as a result, it rendered him unable to survive uh, in basic temperature. Like, his basic temperature had to be at least 50 degrees below zero in order to survive. So he rigged up a fucking snowsuit with like fucking like a, you know, cryogenic freezing shit inside of it. And of course, he always wanted revenge against Batman for putting him in that position. Like I said, Mr. Freeze appeared in six episodes all together, and each time he was played by a different person. Uh, and three, and actually, one of them is a, like, one of us, both, uh, one of them, both of us recognize. Uh, uh, Eli Wallach from uh, The Good, The Bad, and Ugly. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he played Mr. Freeze. You know, uh, Tuco, for those of you who don't know, the bad, uh, yeah, the ugly one <laughs> from The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Uh, he was a Mr. Freeze. And then also uh, George Sanders, Oscar winner, and uh, German director Otto Preminger. I like the Otto Preminger one because he was always looking at the camera and just go, wild. Yeah, every sentence is so stupid. <laughs> I get you, Batman. Wild. <laughs> and just like the comic book, Mr. Freeze, he had his freeze gun and his constant freeze and everything. And uh, oh yeah, Batman and Robin eventually had to uh, create Sub Zero like uh, underwear to prevent them from being frozen by Mr. Freeze. <laughs> so ridiculous. Yeah, Mr. Freeze appeared in six episodes. Next up, Catwoman. Mm-hmm. Here's some of her nicknames: the Marchioness of Mis- uh, Misdemeanors, the Countess of Criminality, the Viscountess of Venality, <laughs> and of course, all of her schemes would be cat themed. 
And one thing that, you know, she always, uh, despite the fact that she was always like a thief and constantly stealing shit, like she was constantly stealing everything or whatever. That's kind of her get down. She's a cat burglar. So yeah. she was constantly stealing shit. Like it's always some kind of valuable cat related goddamn uh, theft or whatever. But as much of a criminal as she is, she always had a thing for Batman. And she made it clear that if Batman would give up his goody two shoe shit, she would get with him. <laughs> and she hated Robin. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, like, like he in the way. I, I actually have a I actually have a line of dialogue here. She's like, uh, I can give you more happiness than anyone in the world. And Batman's like, what about Robin? Oh, I have him killed painlessly. I mean, he's a bit of a bore and with the holy this and holy that. <laughs> and also, uh, my, I think I think she actually gets the biggest blow on Batman in terms of heartbreak. Because if you remember in the movie, uh, she poses a, a Russian journalist named, uh, and this is the whole name, Katanya Arania Tatiana Kristina Arasov, or Miss Chitka, <laughs> uh, from the Moscow Bugle. But in like uh in and over the course of the bad movie, the, the 66 movie, uh she pretty much has him under her spell, and you know what I'm saying? She he's head over heels in love with her, but then of course he finds out in the very end that Miss Chica was actually catwoman the whole time and so heartbroken. And I, I I love like uh at at one point like he sees her and realizes the whole thing was a sham. And then, like, at one point in the movie, there's, like, this slow dancing in the club. And the same music plays to Batman again as he realizes yeah, it was all bullshit. And then Robin stops and is like, Batman, I quiet, Robin. Uh, what you can say next would be compromising. <laughs> yeah, but he, he snaps out of that shit very quickly. But, yeah, she broke his heart, man. And, again, Catwoman, just like some of the other ones, is played by multiple people. Julie Newmar, Lee Merriweather for the movie, and the last person to play it was Eartha Kitt. Now, of the of the three persons speaking, I think Julie Newmar was the best one. Yeah, I'll give you that. Yeah, because number one, it just seemed like of the of the three, she seemed like well, Eartha Kitt was close, but of the three, she seemed like she was the one that was having the most fun playing Catwoman because she's like very seductive and had a very sexy voice. And a very good body for the 60s and shit. Even by today's standards, she got a good body. You know what I'm saying? And, you know what I'm saying? Like, she like, really was into it. Like, Eartha Kitt's version, I think, played up more of the sexual aspect of that character. Because she was, like, always purring. What a catastrophe. She's always doing shit like that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. All the cat puns and shit. That is catastrophic. <laughs> <laughs> And I think uh, of the three, the strongest, like, like serious one was actually Lee Merriweather um, in the movie. Because, like, she was, like, she was a kind of a bitch in the movie, man. Like, like she's, like, she's, like, the other version, but she's really a bitch in the movie. I think one of my favorite dialogues, like, uh, when, like, uh, she threatens to kill Miss Chica if Batman comes in and falls him. Like, she, she's really, she's really selling that shit. I don't think you mean that, Batman. This kicker dies if you take one more step. Go! And then, like, of course, leave. But yeah, uh, Catwoman herself, like, she, oh, she also had, like, a bunch of cat related, uh, <laughs> either it was cat related thefts or cat related, like, gadgets. 
uh, her most common was it was a catacol, which is actually like a, like a paralyzing agent. Uh, she spread at one point she like suspended Robin above a pit of like hungry tigers, and uh, <laughs> and she covered him in what was called uh, finest quality Maxine's uh, Depar choice catnip to make him more appetizing for the tigers. Uh, she had a catatonic with cat darts. Uh, <laughs> she would make people unconscious with catatonia foods. Uh, she had another drug called cataphrenic, which actually made a person uh, lose their moral, like uh, moral standards, or whatever, and actually turn them bad temporarily. And she also had cat sonic acid that she threw at Robin. Like all this different weird shit, man. And also, um, it's actually been insinuated in two episodes that Catwoman died twice. Kind of on to the whole nine lives, you know. In yeah. one episode where she fell off the roof of a fucking warehouse, and another one where she fell into a bottomless pit. And they never recovered her body. So there's like two of her nine lives, I guess. Well, I mean, if they're going to play at the whole cat angle, you might as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah, another favorite of mine. Uh, this one is actually an original villain created for the show, King Tut. <laughs> <laughs> I really like King Tut. Like, oh, he's, like, he's, he has such a weird, like, fucking uh, set up and get down, whatever. Uh, apparently, he was, like, this mob-mother professor of Egyptology at Yale named uh, William uh, McElroy. But he has this condition... <laughs> Where if you hit him in the head hard enough, it, it pretty much causes a complete change in his personality and turns him into <laughs> the king of rogues, the moon god of Thoth, King Tut. <laughs> and all of his uh all of his uh crimes are Egyptian based. Like it's crazy, like he's supposed to be this like mild mother professor at Yale, but then he turns into King Tut, all of a sudden he got layers, he got henchmen. You get all this money for schemes and shit. Like, where's all this money? Like, when you really need it, like, when you just ran the dude. But now, apparently, it only comes with a cup to the head. And it always, it always ends up with that. Like, it like, starts with a cup to the head, and it ends with a cup to the head again. <laughs> and of course, he has no memory of his actions as King Tut, so he's not really liable for, you know, the shit that he does. So he usually ends up going back to school. It's like uh, it's like you having a brain tumor or something. <laughs> yeah, as soon as the shit is fixed, like okay, all right, well, you know, I remember doing it. Like, all right, he got he got a point here, so we gotta let him go. And then of course somebody else came in here again. Like, I'm King Tut again. And of course, like I mentioned earlier, King Tut is one of a uh, few Bat villains on the show that actually figures out who Batman is, and he did it twice. And of course, each time it would have come to the head, so he forgot fucking everything. I, I mean, I, I, one of the uh, <laughs> what uh, his death traps are also Egyptian based. Like one of them was like he had Batman trapped in an Egyptian urn, and apparently he he, he, he dropped pebbles on Batman's head, so he's supposed to be rendered into a mindless slave. <laughs> and Batman's remedy to, to that was he pretty much uh, did his multiple. Wait, oh yeah, he did his uh, he did his multiplication tables backwards. That's what saved him from being a mindless slave. That's hilarious. Yes, and then another one was like he actually buried Batman in a water tomb, like in a, like a sarcophagus, like buried, put him underwater, 
I forgot exactly how you speak, but it was some weird shit. And well, then, of course, I, I just like the multiplication table that it finally gives it um, some sort of credence to children to learn their tables because apparently, if you learn your table forward and backwards, you can keep yourself from having to become a mindless slave. So there you go. Yeah, he always did like push that. You know, education first. You never, you never know. You never know when this shit will be useful. <laughs> before, before the GI Joe PSAs, there was Batman. <laughs> now you know, and no one's had to battle. Oh, another favorite of mine. Another original uh, villain for the show. Airhead. <laughs> Played by Vincent Price, the late Vincent Price. Was Airhead. And all his shit was like, in, all his shit was, of course, egg puns. So, it, but the thing about it is, he had this big head and he purported himself to be the world's greatest criminal genius. Kind of like a Lex Luthor before Lex Luthor. He actually also had the fucking kerchief like Lex Luthor, too. No, no, think about it. Like, I was calling himself the greatest genius. Of course, his diet consists mainly of completely eggs. So, it, <laughs> and all his shit is like, all his gadgets, of course, are egg puns and egg fucking, uh, <laughs> egg, uh, egg seated gadgets and shit. Uh, apparently, he appeared, uh, he, Egghead himself actually appeared in five episodes played by Vincent Price. And uh, like he, his villains, like his like henchmen, were all like breakfast food related too, or they were named after different types of egg dishes. Uh, <laughs> his uh, secretary was Miss Bacon, <laughs> and uh, his also his, he had also had his henchmen Benedict and Fu Young. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, eggs Benedict and egg Fu Young are two different egg dishes. <laughs> and like I said, he he like uh he's one of the few villains again, just like I said with King Ted, one of the few that actually figured out who Batman is. But he also had this electro fault transfer uh that was actually supposed to like give him <laughs> supposed to give him like the brain of like Bruce Wayne or something like that. And Bruce Wayne being Batman himself. Put his mind full of trivia so that uh, King Tut can get to his thoughts and figure out he was Batman. So it worked. Uh, and apparently, because of the fact that uh, Bruce Wayne's mind was so full of other facts and shit, like, apparently it was inconceivable that Bruce Wayne could be Batman to take it. So much criminal mastermind. Yeah. All right, now we're going to get into some of the one time villains that were played by very famous people. Uh, first off, Shandell. Tell you about Liberace. Mm-hmm. Now, Shan, uh, for those of you kids who don't know, Liberace was a very famous piano player back in the 50s and 60s and 70s. And, like, he was very known for his very flamboyant style. And as we find out a little bit later in life, he's flamboyant for more than one reason. Well, he's he's very widely known as one of the one of the first um like mega famous performers who, uh, who who's gay. In fact, there was um, there were actually hearings, if I remember right, in Parliament or maybe it was a parliamentary subcommittee as to his sexuality. Because again, you got to roll the clock back here about you know a good 50, 60 years when uh, in a lot of places around the world uh, homosexuality was a crime, um, and in the UK at that point in time it, it was criminal. In fact, there's a there's a whole whole exchange that is hilarious where they're they're literally. Um, asking him under oath uh, about the fact that there's a very pleasing aroma 
upon him when he enters a room because he, you know, wore colognes and stuff like that. Apparently that was considered potentially to be a sign of homosexuality back in the day. So it's, it's kind of one of those funny ones. It's one of those ones now that like, if you watch Liberace, any of his old stuff, like in modern IEC, you'd be like, yeah, no, I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, the guy's probably gay. Like, you know, who cares? Um, but in fact, they even make reference to it in um, uh, Austin Powers. Remember? <laughs> There's that, that quick moment when he watches like the history of the last 40 years while he was frozen. And then he has that moment. He goes, yeah, I can't believe Liberace was gay. <laughs> like that whole thing. So he's, he's, it was a, it was a hell of a performer and a very interesting character to be sure. Oh, shoot. I just lost JD. Hold on, guys. One second. All right. But like going back to Shandell a little bit, uh, in addition to Shandell, uh, he actually played a same part for this particular role. He played Shandell and his twin brother, Harry, who apparently was blackmailing uh, Shandell into a crime. Now, uh, for Shandell, he was pretty much himself. But for Harry, he had like a gruff voice and was like smoking a cigar and like supposed to be like a gangster and shit like that. And apparently he played, played basically as Edward G. Robinson, like kind of like a rough gangster and shit. And uh, the crazy part about the whole get down is actually Shandell actually uh, flirts with Aunt Harriet. Huh. Oh, yeah. And she, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he flirts with Aunt Harriet and she is with it. Well, he was a magnetic personality. Yeah. So yeah, and she, yeah, she was weird. Like she like, yeah, I like tell me. Like she like he was like giving her champagne and all this other shit. And, like he was ruining the shit out of her, man. She was like, she was down. Like she probably she probably would have gave her the draws if she went like one or two more times. <laughs> I'm pretty sure ain't nobody else like going after that old bitch. So fucking yeah. <laughs> so the fact that this, you know. Yeah, rel relatively younger guy is showing her interest and shit. Like she got, she got things all on the fucking Twitter. So, but unfortunately, because of the fact that Shandell's criminal was not meant to be, and let's say Shandell's only one-time villain. Another one-time villain, which I mentioned uh, one time, was The Puzzler, played by Maurice Evans, who was apparently a Shakespearean actor back in the day. Um, and the whole get down with the puzzler was it was original. The puzzler episode was originally written as a river episode, but again, Frank Gorshin was not available. Apparently, he had like some gig in Vegas. That's why he was available for like the second season. So they just rewrote one of the, one of the real episodes of the puzzler episode. That was that. Uh, also, uh, last you say say that again. No, I was saying uh, uh, one of the reasons Frank Gorsh was unavailable because he had a gig in Vegas. Um, that's why like, they had to replace him for the second season and shit. Um, also, uh, <laughs> at one point, Batman and Robin went to London. Oh, yeah. Actually, it was called Londinium. That was the name of the city. Clearly London. But they called it Londinium. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so what happened was like something happened like thick. Ben and Robin had to appear in London to help. Uh, the villains of that episode were Marmaduke uh, Fogg and Lady Penelope PC. 
they were, uh, they were pyramids, like aristocrats, but they were actually, of course, criminals and shit. Uh, and they actually had, they actually ran a finishing school for chicks who steal. Uh, uh, so girls can get their uh, MS degree, mistress of shoplifting. <laughs> <laughs> And apparently, <clears throat> the trans transatlantic little trip didn't stop that man Robin. Apparently, they had a Londinium backing too that they set up. Oh no, no, yeah, Alfred, Alfred literally had set up the, a bad cave in Londinium for them. Computer <laughs> with computers and everything. Well, if you're a millionaire. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. And then, like some of the Barnaby streets. Uh, Ireland Yard, as opposed to Scotland Yard, the Queen's Highway, and the Tower of London. <laughs> this is so ridiculous. Uh, and a couple of other first-time villains. Another one, Zelda the Great, played by Anne Baxter. Uh, she appeared in uh, two episodes. Uh, she's like this like magician who like turned to crime and she actually would rob a bank every April Fool's to finance this dude named Eval Ekdal, who's like this Albanian genius who always get her like new escape acts for her for uh, escape gimmicks for her act. Yes. Yeah, so her guy uh was this dude named Eval Ekdal and uh like I say he would always give her a new trick for her act and that kept it going. And the, la the, the death trap for the episode was actually, it wasn't even a death trap for Batman or Robin. It was a death trap for Aunt Harriet. Mm -hmm. so, she, so Zelda the Great kidnaps Aunt Harriet and holds her over a vat of fucking boiling oil to exact fucking uh, ransom. And <laughs> they actually do end up, uh, oh yeah, what happened was like freaking like uh, Batman put a false story in the fucking news that she stole some money from a bank and then the money that she stole was fake or like about to be burned and shit. So he reversed the story and told her like the money she already had was real. So just give Miss Harriet Cooper back. So she does. Puts in a cab and sends her ass home. And Eval Ekdal comes out with this like death trap that is like and it's so inescapable that even he doesn't know how to fucking solve it. So he decided to use that on Batman and Robin. So Batman, who is supposed to be the world's greatest escape artist, can solve it for and therefore, they'll have their act. Um, but yeah, like I said, it's a pretty good episode. Uh, and Anne Baxter herself is actually the only villain to play two major villains because she plays Zelda the Great and she also comes back as Olga, Queen of the Cossacks. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Same lady. Yeah. Olga. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Also, another one, The Archer, played by fucking, uh, I believe it was Art Carney. Okay. Archer, who's pretty much a Robin Hood type character, like I said, uh, lots of fucking chivalry. That was his. That was the themes of his uh, particular crimes. It was like you know, like uh, Robin Hood themes type shit. And wasn't really that great an episode, but he was alright. You know, he had like his. He had his minions, who was like a uh, Big John, Alan A. Dale, Cryer Tuck, Maid Marion, you know, shit like that. Basically. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, basically ripping off, basically ripping off Robin Hood. Yeah. Uh, another one-time villain, the Mad Hatter. <laughs> I really of the of the one-time villains. I think Mad Hatter might be one of my favorites, just because I love the actor David Wayne's like uh, over-exaggerated like pronunciation. The Hat Factory. 
<laughs> and it's just his deep love for like I'm like I'm watching this episode like this dude really knows a lot about fucking hats. Like his name like different types of hats. It's the bowler. It's the no. I'm a I'm a I'm a haberdasherist and all this other shit. Like what the fuck? But like it's this weird pronouncing. Are you? I, I'm not the Mad Hatter. I'm here in my hat factory. And of course, his hat. His hat had a little device inside it. It was like cat eyes. It pop open. He would wear a top hat. She would pop open and he had like these two cat eyes that would like mesmerize people. He's instant mesmerizer. And uh, his whole get down was that he wanted Batman's cowl because he is obsessed with hats and head coverings and shit. So he, he thought the greatest prize that he could ever get was Batman's cowl. And also, Batman apparently at one point was a uh, a juror. Oh no, he uh, Batman testified against the Mad Hatter in a trial. And one of his schemes was that like he was kidnapping all 12 of the jurors, uh, the prosecuting attorney, uh, the prosecuting officer, and the person who arrested him, Batman. Mm -hmm. So that was his big <laughs> scheme. Uh, oh, yeah, False Face, which is a weird character, too. False Face is weird because he had like this, you know, he had the plastic mask over his features. Yeah. He's constantly yeah. talking over that shit. And like he would be like a master of disguise. You couldn't figure out who he was. And actually, funny enough, that like when they did his credit in the show, it was like question mark as false face. Just to keep the mystery going. Which was great, actually. Yeah, it was great. And then he was like impersonating, like he would impersonate uh both uh Commissioner Gordon and Chief O'Hara in the course of his episodes and shit. And like, yeah, it was like, I, I thought it was a really good character, very underutilized, very creepy with the plastic mask over his face. It was very creepy. Um, more creepy than most of the villains on here. Uh, another villain, Marsha, Queen of Diamonds, who all her, <laughs> her get-down was, was she was like this diamond thief who was obsessed with diamonds, and she had this old lady who was like her, uh, a witch who was like her helper, Aunt Hilda, who, like, uh, who was like, who was like supposed to be casting spells on people, but she's really bad at it. And she's always like putting like, and she's like the stereotypical like. She even sounded like a stereotypical like TV witch. I have meat and toad and fog and shit like that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And uh, I think uh, like I mentioned earlier, one of Marsha's schemes, which I thought was a really good scheme, was that she basically tried to trick Batman into marrying her so she can get a hold of his Bat Diamond. And like she actually was played by Carolyn Jones, who was actually Morticia Adams from the Adams family. So we had Gomez and Morticia as Batman villains. Well, and we had and we had the um, uh, the what do you call? It? Oh yeah, and Lurch and Lurch made the cameo. Yeah, yeah, Lurch made the cameo. Yeah, so all around, like, just missing a few other Adams family members, but yeah. Oh yeah, another great, another great one-time villain, Bookworm. Yeah, played by Roddy McDowell. Oh, Roddy. And it was, his whole get down, of course, was you know books, and he was like uh. Had these like a uh, plots where he would like have like giant novels and like all this other shit. And they, I, but actually, his plot was actually pretty damn cool because it featured faking the assassination of a uh, commissioner Gordon, and it actually can actually fooled Batman. Like, it was, and then at uh, one point, I think they had, like I think he trapped Batman and Robin inside a giant cookbook. Yeah, guy, another shit. Uh, just really weird, really weird shit they were coming up with in terms of the villains. 
Oh yeah, Ma Parker, played by fucking uh, what's her name? Shelly. Uh, what's her name? Shelly. God damn it, Shelly Winters. Was Ma Parker? Yeah. And of course, her whole get down was she's like this head of this like criminal gang, and she's supposed to be, like the thing about it is she's supposed to be this sweet, uh, motherly type, and she always kind of invoked that in people, but she was actually this hardcore ass criminal. And like fucking, she had like this uh, gang made up of her children, her three sons, and her one daughter. And uh, at one point, she actually uh, takes over Gotham State Penitentiary uh, in order to get all the other like super inmates, like Catwoman and the Penguin, to join up with her and start a like criminal empire from inside the prison. Before Arkham. So what? That was the days before Arkham. Way before Arkham. So yeah, just Gotham State Penitentiary. Oh yeah, speaking of Gotham State Penitentiary, uh, you remember the episodes where they had these stupid ass Warden, Warden Crichton? Yeah. <laughs> he's like, his, his revolutionary quote unquote rehabilitation shit they always do for the villains was to always supply the villain with a means to escape. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's one of my revolutionary tactics. And it, it was like a uh, like just like what like we was talking about earlier, the forgery scheme with the penguin. Uh, Warden Crichton gave a fucking penguin checks so he could from the uh, prison like whatever that he could use and sign like to rehabilitate him to like uh, help him better manage money or some bullshit like that. And of course they're gonna use the checks to f- do a full forgery scheme to fucking build money out of all these billionaires. Thank you, Warden Crichton. <laughs> Oh yeah, another uh, one-time villain, the Siren, uh, played by beautiful Joan Collins, young Joan Collins. She was fine too, man. This episode. I mean, she was fine as an older lady too, but she was mad fine when she was younger, man. I don't think I remember that episode. Yeah, she uh, she it was a third season episode. Like, uh, she started out as like a accomplice of the Riddler, but then she got her own episode. And her get down was she was like dressed up like a fucking Greek siren from like mythology and shit and she had this thing where she could like uh she had a seven octave range that captivated and beguiled men that was kind of hypnotic to men uh and apparently the only person not affected by it was batgirl because she's a woman all the other men that she she uh subjected it to were all under her spell and shit and like i said it's a pretty decent little episode or whatever uh, Clock King, who was actually a character from the comic books, uh, they actually uh, used him on the show. Uh, same thing, just another villain obsessed with time, and all his shit was like uh, time-based. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, they had another villain called Lola Lasagna. <laughs> Not really much to talk about with there. Shane, cowboy villain, played by uh, Oscar winner Cliff Robinson. And then, like, weird part about the Shane episode is they had this little kid that kept following him uh, doing the whole shit from Shane, the movie. Yeah. Come back, Shane. Shane, come back. And the little kid was such a horrible actor. Well, I mean, it's little kids. They're either going to be fantastic or they're going to be horrible. Yeah, but still, this is a pretty bad kid actor. (laughs) Yeah, Shane was like a cowboy. He was stealing shit, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All this shit was cowboy themed. Uh, Louis the Lilac, who was a perfumer, who had scents that were like the, 
uh, that would like captivate people. And he also had like man eating lilacs, who was actually played by fucking uh, what's his name, Milton Berle. Was oh, Louis, was Louis yeah. the lilac? Yeah, Milton Berle. Yeah. yeah. And that was another one of those third season Batgirl episodes. Still, we still don't get to Batgirl, not quite yet. Uh, but another crossover that they had, which actually is one of my favorite episodes, uh, when Batman and Robin meet the Green Hornet and Kato. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, man. And then it establishes that apparently the Green Hornet, Brett Reed, who was the owner-publisher of the Daily Sentinel, and Bruce Wayne were actually friends since high school, since, uh, since they were kids, and they were always rivals. Uh, <laughs> and apparently they were uh, fighting over the, uh, the affections of this chick, Pinky Pinkston, who wore all pink, and everything about her was pink. Uh, and then her, her, the villain of that episode, which was actually a two-parter, was this dude named uh, uh, Colonel Gum, who's also the same dude that played Harry Mudd on uh, fucking uh, Star Trek, the original Star Trek. Oh, yeah. So, true. yeah, it's the same guy. Huh. Yeah. And, of course, they had this big fight sequence where Kato and the Green Hornet fight Batman and Robin. And of course, like realistically, of course, you know, the one who will all three of their answers will be Bruce Lee. Yeah, Kato, Kato went totally on it. Because the Green Hornet, like if you've never watched the show, go back and watch any episode. It doesn't matter which one. Green Hornet basically just like stood there and waited for Kato to finish everyone's ass. Like that's that's basically the way that it went. Like he didn't do shit. He was caught. Like how they did you remember the remember the Bruce Lee movie Dragon, the Bruce Lee story? Yeah. But they did the one scene where they were filming the Green Hornet where it was like Bruce Lee kicking everybody's ass and just the Green Hornet just tied up. Uh, good job, kiddo. Just, yeah, he just kept saying good job, kiddo, over and over again as Bruce Lee was kicking everybody's ass. That, that's probably the most realistic version of what a millionaire or a billionaire would do if they fought crime. They would hire somebody who was awesome to be like their wingman to do all the work while they just stood there like, hey, hit that guy. Okay, now go hit that guy. Oh, yeah, he will, every, kiddo will everybody's ass and then at the very end Fucking uh, the Green Hornet would come up and do like one haymaker, and that was it. Speaking of which, we didn't, we haven't, we haven't really talked about the fights a lot. Of course, we talk, we you know everybody knows about the Batman fights, whether the bang, the zap, the kaplawi. I like the sound effects, like zoom, yeah, uh, shaboing, shit like that. You know, like and then like think about it is if you watch the fight choreography, it's all haymakers. Yeah, well. And- they always cut them, again, because everyone's having to pull their punches or swing so wide. They always cut them just the right moment so you don't see the lack of impact to throw that, that uh, cutaway on top of the, the comic book sound effect. Yeah. And you get to see like, the- uh, right. Yeah. No jabs, no uppercuts. Everything was haymakers. Like, for a little excitement, you might get an occasional drop kick. Yeah. Yeah. But for the most part, yeah, just a bunch of haymakers. And one thing I do like about the uh, the TV versions, they always show Batman and Robin working in tandem. Yeah, like, they would do like little, yeah, they would always do like little like setup moves and shit. Like he would swing, he would swing Robin around, or the shit where like uh, Batman would punch, but Robin would like kind of give him like almost like a spot for the punch, like kind of to like boost the energy of the punch. I, I don't get that. Well, the other one that was always fun too is when you get those uh, the double-handed fists. They'd lock their fists together and then they'd swing both hands at the same time to hit somebody. So the yeah, big- or the, uh, yeah, they lock the, they, they lock the fists and they would do like a, a like a battering ram type move. Yeah. <laughs> <It's so ridiculous. laughs> 
Uh, let's see. Is there any more? Oh yeah, there's a couple more uh, one-time villains. Uh, but like I said, most of these are chicks. Uh, the the Black Widow, who was like this old robotics whiz, uh, who was played by the late Tallulah Bankhead. This is actually her last part. Uh, anything before she passed away. And then uh, Minerva, who was like uh, this chick in a platinum dress, played by uh, what's her name? Uh, either, I think it's either Ava or Jaja Gabor, one of the Gabor sisters. I believe it's I believe it's though. And uh, but yeah, like this that that was some of the like one-time villains and shit. But the last little component that we talked about, which is pretty much spelled the end of the series, Batgirl. The introduction of Batgirl in the third season, which was actually supposed to kind of boost ratings, did quite the opposite. <laughs> yeah, that was <laughs> it's probably not their not their best move. No, no, it wasn't. Uh, and she appeared in all 26 episodes of the third season. And of course, Batgirl, who is Batgirl? She turns out she's actually uh, Commissioner Gordon's daughter, who was never mentioned any time before the third season. Yeah, they did a better job bringing in Batgirl and Batman and Robin, I think. Yeah, but like, yeah, she's uh, Commissioner Gordon's librarian daughter. And of course, she had her own little swanky apartment. She's, pro she's supposed to be like fresh out of college and she's working in this library. And of course, she uh, was had, oh yeah, she like uh, had on a little swanky apartment and she had a parrot named Charlie that she would talk to. And of course, the parrot would talk back because it's, it's Batman. Yeah. And of course, in her fucking uh, secret pad, her secret is uh, she has a secret Batgirl room transformer that would turn her room into a little miniature version of the Batcave. So she had like a little suit, and she is a she's a black haired chick. She's a brunette initially, but then when she would become Batgirl, she had a wig that turned into a redhead to further throw, to further throw people off. And of course, she had her own entrance in a freight elevator, and she had her own bat cycle, and she had her own theme song. <laughs> I like the Bad Girl theme song, Bianca. Bad Girl, Bad Girl, Bad Girl. I mean, yeah. The problem was is that they never really, they never really, to a, to a great effect, actually explain how she goes from just being the librarian daughter to hey, suddenly now I'm Bad Girl, and Bruce Wayne. How she got. Oh, yeah, how she got all her great, great gadgets because she had her own utility belt, she got her own bat cave, she got her own bat cycle. Uh, don't mention none of that shit, nah. Just like, uh, to accept it. Yeah, let me do a little bit more of uh, the bad girl theme. Though. Bad girl, bad girl, bad girl, bad girl. Where did she come from? Where did she come from? I like, I like the bad girl theme. <laughs> <laughs> You know that, and in the comics in general, that's one thing they've never really done a, a great job on is the origin for her. They played around with Robin a little bit, and then even with uh, what was what was it that they were going to? Was it uh, uh, was it? It's not. Is it Nighthawk? Is that what it was going to be? Well, uh, Robin becomes Nighthawk eventually. Yeah. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. Like, they, there's there's decent decent kind of uh, um, origin story that's been built around Robin and, and ultimately Night. But nobody's ever really, at least to, to what I've found so far, never really done a good job of an origin story for Batgirl. It was oh, always, yeah, yeah. that's why I think ultimately, because I feel like if you put the time and effort in to do a great creation story for her, that it would be an easy enough sell and people would be like, okay, that's fine. I feel like most of the, um, the hesitation 
from people to her in, in the comic world is the fact that she's literally just like, well, we needed a girl. Like, that's literally what it comes down to. We, well, we needed a girl to be on the side of good, so we just put her in there. And like, just, or, just that she, or just that she's the commissioner's daughter, she's inspired by Batman, therefore she became Batgirl. That's yeah, basically it. You need to have, because the, the thing that links, depending on which book, but the thing that links Robin and Batman is that they have that shared loss of their parents, right? Yeah. There's something there because, you know, the probably the most famous one on the Robin side is that the, the one that they kind of got a weird recreation in Batman and Robin, or I guess maybe it was a Batman Forever where you learned that yeah. his parents were acrobats and they're an acrobatic family and his parents died tragically. And so he's kind of like on his own as a, uh, uh, an orphan, even though he's not necessarily a child when he's orphaned, he's a young guy who doesn't really know what to do with himself. Whereas like, Batgirl just kind of like, yeah, she's there. Like, yeah, basically. Need, and she's, yeah. Uh, she's a, yeah. Use the filmmaking uh, terminology. You need an inciting incident. What's her inciting incident? Yeah. And then the whole uh, Alicia Silverstone debacle in Batman and Robin. Don't even get me started. Right. So let's not go there. Uh, but, yeah, yeah. Fun fact, some of the fun facts behind the scenes uh, apparently, uh, and actually showed this. I remember they had the documentary movie, uh, uh, Back to the Batcave, with uh, where they had like uh, uh, Adam West and Burt Ward as adults in like like two thousands or whatever. And it brought back some of the villains who were still alive and shit. I think they brought back Julie Newmar. It kind of gave them like a behind the scenes look at the show. And of course, you know, Adam West and Burt Ward were coos hounds, like just getting it like crazy. But like everybody was like, did you? Uh, like, one question I always ask: Did you ever get with uh, any of the cat women or any of the whatever? And it's like, no, no. But funny enough, another TV superhero did. Uh, <laughs> Bill Bixby, The Incredible Hulk. He got apparently, apparently prior to the series, he got with both Lee Merriweather, Catwoman, and Yvonne Craig, Batgirl. Well, good for him. So Hulk, so Hulk smash bad girl and Catwoman. <laughs> yeah, that's if that's not a meme already, it should be. <laughs> there you go. So yeah, it's crazy too when you think about it. But yeah, like I said, the show eventually got canceled after three seasons, but it lived on, of course, through uh, reruns. It's just like just like Star Trek lived on through reruns, like endless reruns. Like so many people that first, like yourself, like ourselves. Uh, your first bad experience was watching the TV show. A lot of people's first bad experience was watching the TV show. As silly as it may be, this, the TV show was hella popular. It, actually, it was the first instance, which we've seen a couple times since, of Batmania. Yeah. Where you see Batman everywhere. Like, Batman merchandise everywhere. You see the Bat symbol everywhere. Uh, and, like, freaking, like, it was a like, super popular show. And well, freaking... First, first Batman, anything I had was a Batman shirt that was Adam West, like Batman uniform, right? Or, or Batman costume. Where was that? That the yellow, the big yellow uh, bat and, or yellow and black bat symbol, that whole thing? Like, mm -hmm. or I guess it wasn't, it wasn't black and yellow. I'm mixing it up with the, uh, the one from with that gray one. The gray one was yeah. the, the first the, uh, bat utility that they had was the yellow one, the Keaton. Yeah. The, the original last one was like a tan leather, like a tobacco. Well, actually, this one wasn't, wasn't tobacco even. It was more of like a lighter tan 
kind of a, a leather leather color to it. But yeah, I mean that was that was definitely the first one for everyone. They had all kinds of bad tools and stuff. And like I said, that is automobiles go. I still think that's probably the coolest looking Batmobile. And also, on one thing we we actually been alluding to throughout the podcast, that kind of they they did uh, how popular the show became during the second and third season. They did a movie. Yeah, Batman, which, which is now referred to as uh, Batman sixty six, I believe is the name of the yeah. movie or whatever they refer to it as that. But yeah, Batman the movie. They did it with the entire cast of the TV show. It's basically just a two hour version of the TV show. Same producers, same sets, same props. But like I said, they added some new shit like the bat copter and the bat uh, the bat boat. And instead of one villain like you would get for most episodes, they had four. Cesar Romero as the Joker, Frank Gorshin as the Riddler, Burgess Meredith as the as the Penguin, and of course, uh, replacing Julie Newmar, Lee Merriweather as Catwoman. And uh, and I love that when they figure out the initial plot in Commissioner Gordon's office is so fucking funny. This <laughs> <laughs> Commissioner Gordon because they all like the how they figured it out. I still don't get it, but like uh, they just like you know. So first thing they do is they go on to like. Like this, like a uh, list of like the super the super criminals that are at large. And you see that the missing ones are the Joker, the Riddler, the Penguin, and Catwoman. And uh, Commissioner Gordon's like, well, which one? But which, which, which ones? And Batman's like, pretty fishy. What happened to me out there? You mean where there's a fish that's a penguin? Yeah, but it happened to C, C, C for Catwoman. Yeah, it's all one. Yeah, it's all one. Uh, Sinister, oh yeah, and then the shark was pulling my leg. The Joker, it's all a sinister riddle. Wait, riddle er, and then of course Commissioner Gordon. Oh, a thought strikes me, so dreadful I scarcely dare give it utterance. And Batman's like, the four of them, their forces combined. Holy nightmare. And of course, yeah, they uh, they re they all four of the villains unite as the United uh, Underworld. I think that's the name of their group. And their symbol was like an octopus, kind of like Spectre. And they were all like in this like uh, oceanfront warehouse, well, apparently, which apparently was above a bar. <laughs> and the bar was just full of these seedy types or whatever. And apparently the CD types had nothing else to do. And, and the funniest part about the CD types is, is like these two fat chases eating crabs, unfazed by nothing. <laughs> they figured out what's going on in the office. It, it reminds me of that scene in um, uh, Black Dynamite when they finally figured out about um, Black, what was it, uh, Anaconda Malt Liquor? Oh my God. Oh yeah, the uh, mess in your mouth, that shit, that whole speech. Yeah. And a compliment is you, Little Richard. <laughs> oh, yeah, that shit, yeah. The, the, uh, wait, wait a minute. You said it melts your mouth. Quick, what up, melts in your mouth? Uh, M&M's. Yeah, not in your hands. But who make M&M's? Mars Candy Company make M&M's. And who else is Mars? The Roman god of war. And who is the Greek god of war? Ares. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's so stupid. Same, same. <laughs> Yeah, and they're like, well, asleepiest. Yeah, like, uh, well, uh, take, take that word, spell it back with, drop the S. Snake doctor. And who, yeah, uh, yeah. I remember, uh, asleepiest, asleepiest, the staff, of course. Yeah, had a staff, had snakes all around that bitch. 
which is which is actually the symbol that the medical industry still uses to this day. And what, my brothers, is the biggest stick of them all? The South American anaconda. Yeah, that's right, lady. Anaconda malt liquor. Anaconda malt gives you what? Woo! Gives you what? Woo! And who else is famous for? Woo! Little Richard. Who? Little Richard. <laughs> and so what they're really saying is, anaconda malt liquor gives you little Richard. What is another word for Richard? That was such a convoluted ass way to figure out something. But yeah, they, they do something similar in Batman the movie. And then, of course, one of the more famous scenes, if not the most famous scene, is Batman goes to the fucking um, warehouse um, or whatever and finds a giant bomb. Yeah. <laughs> smoking bomb and like takes it, goes to the uh, bar, clears out the entire bar. Again, two fat chicks eating crabs, not moving. And then, like, the entire, then next thing you know, he's trying to dispose of the bomb on his pier. And it's like, well, he keeps, he keeps getting stopped by, like, the same four things. I remember it was like a, it was like a thing of nuns, <laughs> uh, a, a lady with a baby, and a marching band that keep playing the same goddamn song. And everywhere he go, he keeps running to those four things. Because because those are just ubiquitous at the pier, you know, especially the marching band just walking up and down playing the, the marching yeah, the marching band just keep walking around playing the same goddamn song no matter where he goes. And then like every time he tries to throw it off a pier, there's like something there, like he tries to throw it off a pier, there's like a couple making out in a boat. He tries to throw it off another pier, there's like a baby a thing of baby ducks. Mm-hmm. And then of course the famous line, some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. <laughs> And of course, the whole plot is to lick. Uh, what, what are they doing to, to dehydrate uh, the world leaders and hold them for ransom? That was the plot from the movie, I believe. Yeah. And uh, is oh yeah, and the invention, the invention that they used was been about some dude Commodore Schmidt lap. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's so silly. And then at the very end, when they rehydrate everybody, but oh yeah, no. Uh, the fucking big fight, of course, they have the big fight on the uh, the penguins, um, penguin submarine. <laughs> and uh, they have the big fight at sea, and then eventually Kamala Schmiller's silly ass knocks over the vials that holds the dehydrated world leaders and blows them all away. And then, of course, they had to reconstitute all the goddamn uh, articles or whatever to save the world and shit. And, of course, because of that, it's not entirely accurate uh all the world leaders end up like reconstituted but they speaking each other's languages <laughs> yeah back to what yeah. he, exactly I was told if we could all just speak speak each other's languages we could end war <laughs> yeah but then they actually have it happen where like he reconstitutes them at the they reconstitute them at the very end with a garden hose <laughs> i'm sorry i gotta laugh no he saved the world with a green garden hose. <laughs> Dude, save my world every summer. <laughs> he put a little bag of water in a garden hose and he saved the world, bro. And then, of course, like I said, they uh, like, they all speak in each other's languages. Like you have the African guy, African guy speaking German. You got the French guy speaking uh, uh, whatever, like Portuguese or some whatever. Like they all speak in each other's language. You got the uh. Arab guy speaking English, like it's all over the shit. And then, and Batman's like, perhaps this could lead to world peace or some shit like that. Some little saying, some little saying. And then as he leaves, 
him and Robin quietly, yeah, at the end, him and Qu- him and Robin quietly leave at the fucking uh, leave the building from the top of the building, and they fucking pretty much uh, parachute down, and that's the end of the movie. But <laughs> it's such a weird fucking movie. But honestly, and like I've told you this before, still more rewatchable than Batman and Robin. Hundred percent. Yeah. Without without question. Yeah, I will. I will watch Batman sixty six any day over fucking Batman and Robin. Better than Batman and Robin and better than Batman Forever. I got a difference with you on Batman Forever. I kind of dig Batman Forever. We've had this debate before. We're going we're gonna to have it again when we actually screen Batman Forever when we actually get off of this quarantine bullshit. <laughs> but, like, yeah. Like, yeah, I can't really jive with you on that. But, again, yeah, still a really good movie. And like I said, the Bat Legacy still lives on. Like whenever you like, more often than not, whenever somebody references Batman, they'll do the na 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 na, and you automatically know it's Batman and shit. Or they'll do like the uh, the gadgets they would have, like whole. And like I said, like the holy this or holy that or whatever is done in countless TV shows and movies and shit. And one thing that always uh, got me with Adam West was like. You know how everybody gets on William Shatner for his filter delivery? Nobody really gets on Adam West. Well, because he had uh, that same shit going. I was gonna say it's because the difference is is that there we're starting to talk about a, a degree of magnitude in terms of what it actually meant for pop culture worldwide. I mean, we can get into how how impactful uh, a show like Star Trek was versus versus Batman, uh, the the original series. Because the original series, I mean, look, it, it was the first time really that, and certainly on the DC side, and I think you can argue across the board when it comes to to anything. And I know you're going to probably start throwing Marvel at me and everything else. We just have the Marvel episode. Go back and listen to that. But it's the first kind of, it's certainly successful, majorly successful television series based on the comic book side of things and so it was it, it's kind of in its own world when it comes to that but star trek uh, completely original concept just blew up internationally you can add to it, you can talk about this the, the whole idea where it was also like you know post-racial thing in a hyper-racialized world and like you can get into some of that kind of stuff where it was where they broke ground that way but it's, it's literally two different things because the the sci-fi nature of stuff was was interesting and engaging enough, but there wasn't there wasn't the same hurdle to entry for people. I think something like that that you run into consistently with Batman, where you, you kind of have to make a very different um, and and intentional essential even get into. Whereas like Star Trek. I mean, you can see how you could get there. I mean, obviously, a lot of stuff has shifted and changed, but a lot of stuff in Star Trek, you could even argue, you know, it, it's life imitating art or vice versa, where, like, you know, the idea of, like, a, a transporter isn't necessarily as far-fetched as it once seemed, especially now that we have cell phones and, and iWatches and all the rest of that. Okay, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. All right, but, uh, like I said, uh, the... That's what I'm saying. That's why he gets hammered on him. He literally hit a different realm, far above anything that that Adam West ever ended up in. Because he definitely has that same interesting stilted delivery. And I was gonna say, uh, you said uh, the Batman was the first successful TV show based on the comic. No, I remember the Adventures of Superman with George Reeves. Yeah, but did they did they ever do Fifty Nine in the demo? True. 
I'll give you that. I'm saying, like, when you talk about degrees of success, like... Yeah, yeah, I, I, get, I get it. Well, I'm, 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 on, I'm on the exact facts of the Adventures of Superman TV show. It probably did. I'm not sure. Because I know, like, TV was first back then, so I'm, I know that the Adventures of Superman was one of these shows. You know, it's like, I love Lucy and Superman and, like, like two other ones. But, yeah, well, fucking... Uh, I'll, give you, I'll give you one more to prove which one's more successful. How many reruns of the Adventures of Superman versus we still have reruns of, of uh, the Batman series. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Yeah, you see, you do see Batman more than you see uh, this 66 Batman more than you see the 50s Superman on television. I'll give you that. Adam West goes, like, talking about kind of how stuff has a staying power, right? Adam West, they, they did a whole, they did a whole bit in an episode of 30 Rock where the Jack Donaghy character, I think it's like his 50th birthday or something, and he's kind of unhappy because he's had a lot of success, but he hasn't necessarily checked everything off his bucket list. So he's trying to check things off his list from when he was a child, things that he wanted to do that he thinks would mean success. And ultimately he finds out that of course, you know, he's, it's not what he thought would be doing with the love of his app. But one of the things that he wanted to be friends with Batman was he invites Adam West to his birthday party so he could show the world that he's friends with Batman. And of course, Adam West intentionally Right, butchers his name, and he's and he's uh, basically congratulating Jack Donaghy, calls him John Donaghy, or something like that, on his birthday, uh, to just intentionally kind of screw up the fact, like obviously they're not really friends, but it, it's it was a hell of a thing that he managed to ride out for his entire career. Yeah, but a bunch of TV shows have also had that uh, Adam West dedication episode where I remember they. Uh, he appeared in a skit on Mad TV where like they made a parody of ER and Adam West shows up, but it's a parody for like a uh, uh, aging or uh, out of touch actors. Yeah. And like yeah, and like uh, and uh, I remember one of the amendments they had was a uh, Gary Coleman, and they were trying to get him a new catchphrase. Then Adam West is in there too, trying to get a new TV show. He's trying to play Batman again, and like they asked him like, "Would you want to uh, bring back Burt Ward?" Like. I'd rather have Gary Coleman. And then <laughs> Gary Coleman happens to be there, and they're looking for his new catchphrase, and then Adam West whispers, what you talking about, Batman? And that, <laughs> that becomes Gary Coleman's new catchphrase. Well, the um, other thing that's hilarious with that, too, with just Adam West specific, right, is, I mean, they literally talking about, like, keeping something going that you know is 100% because he's Batman was him as the mayor on um, Family Guy. And funny enough, that actually started on Johnny Bravo. Also, which is also, yeah, which is also written and produced by Seth MacFarlane. I totally forgot that he was in on that. Yeah, that's that's early, early Seth MacFarlane for sure. Yeah, yeah. The first the first iteration of Mayor Adam West, as we know it, was actually on Johnny Bravo on the Cartoon Network. Like I said, written and directed, I think written and produced by Seth MacFarlane. And it was a very popular episode. And then they brought that Adam West, well, a version of that Adam West to Family Guy. And it became a staple on that show for many, many years until his unfortunate passing just a few years ago. Um, but yeah, he was like, he was the mayor of that show, man. He was the staple on that show. And like I said, so many other TV shows have had Adam West on as a guest. Uh, I believe uh, he was on Living, I think he's on like on Living Single once. No, no, no. Burt Ward actually did Living Single. Uh, but I remember, yeah, he also did a Big Bang Theory and a couple other shows. But yeah, there's always been like a, sh a bunch of shows that have brought on Adam West as a guest. And of course, they are, all they do is like Batman puns and shit related to that because he will be forever Batman. You know what I'm saying? 
and rightly so. Again, we can talk all day long about the, the nature of stuff and the way that that went. Because, I mean, anybody who's, who's grown up with Batman in the last 10, 15 years, you're not used to seeing that comedic side of stuff. You're used to the darker, the Dark Knight style of Batman, where it's, it's certainly a lot more um, minimal suspension of disbelief. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a shame because they kind of kind of miss out on that. But there's a fun, ridiculous, uh, clowning nature man that exists that is purely Adam West and, and Adam. And also, crazy fact: Adam West is actually the third ever live-action Batman. There's two other ones from. There's two others from the serials from the 1940s. One of which was actually Lewis Wilson, who is the father of Michael G. Wilson from the Bond uh, franchise. That's right. Yeah, and there's another dude, I think his name is like Robert Lowry, I think, I think that's the guy's name. But yeah, it was two Batmans before Adam West. But Adam West is really what put the character into the zeitgeist. Uh, and uh, I, like I said, just, just uh, like I said, just crazy stuff like that. And then like, I, I, like, I like on the Big Bang Theory episode where you're talking about the different other Batmans where it's like Michael Keaton and uh, Christian Bale and Val Kim and all those guys. He said, they played Batman. I am Batman. <laughs> that is that is probably one of the best statements ever about it. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah exactly. Uh, and then now, because of the fact that old uh, Adam has passed away, Michael Keaton is now the OG living Batman. And again, a killer Batman. And we were talking before they're looking to bring him back um, in the series. Is it in the uh, the series? What were they? They're gonna bring him back as an old Batman, right? Yeah, no, uh, for the for the. Um, DCEU Flashpoint movie, they announced that they cast Michael Keaton as Batman again. As an older version of Batman. Yeah. So, all, all, all the, the only details they've had so far is that the Flash is going to be Ezra Miller and that Batman, Michael Keaton is going to be in it. That's literally it. So, we'll see how that goes. But yeah, he's Batman again. So, Batman is... so. So Batman is forever. Yep. Uh-huh. <laughs> I get the pun, but I, I'm, I'm not going to agree with it. But I understand. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. I want you to see this. Batman is forever. <laughs> I just turned on my video for my Zoom so he could see me. To show him the emphasis of what I meant by that. One of the things finding here uh for for all of our listeners is that um killing the video when we do the zoom is seeming to help a lot with the audio so um we're, we're having to jump in and out on that i know you guys don't care because you're yeah. not I'm, I'm actually i'm actually hearing it i'm actually hearing it going bad now as you're talking so i'm stopping the video but at least at least we're putting out some stuff and ways to make this work because i want to give you guys some some good and entertaining content while we're all still you know stuck at home playing the uh, quarantine game yeah, man. Well, like I said, we hope you folks really enjoyed our look into Batman 66 as much as we've enjoyed talking about it. It's one of our, both of our mutual favorite shows and it's a favorite of a lot of people from generation to generation. My dad was a fan of this show. My little brother's a fan of this show. I'm sure my children will be fans of this show. I damn sure make sure they are. Oh, and, uh, yeah, exactly. So My kids someday. It's going to be uh, going to be Oh yeah, we all we're all gonna do that, man. It's like fucking like we don't have like we don't have like little Batman parties, like a little they'll they'll recognize the theme just like we did. Na 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 na. Then do the pow and the zap, like fake fighting and shit. We had 
we had to tell them to stop because you know violence is bad. But like, but like, hey, keep fighting. But if it's but if it's playing, then playing is okay. <laughs> if if, it, if, it, if y'all play a Batman, it's fine. Okay, just play Batman. What what I'm what I'm really looking forward to uh, since I live in California now and not in Wyoming anymore. Um, there are lots of comic book stores around, so I'm I'm looking forward to being able to give my children the opportunity to actually uh, grow up in the comic book uh, zeitgeist rather than having to learn about uh, all the comic book aspects of all these amazing shows and stuff that, that I got into that I, I wasn't aware of because, to be quite frankly honest, there's just no comic book stores up there. So. Same thing with me in Alabama, man. I had to learn the hard way, bro. Like, freaking like whatever little piece of information I could get, I got it, dude. Like, thank God, like I said, that they, uh, they opened up a Barnes & Noble by my house when I was like in the fifth grade. I would go up there. I would just read through everything because I'll go to the graphic novels section and just read all the comic book shit. Well, and, and now, now they've got the the, the web comics. This, I don't know if they call them zines or not, but because like, I know they did that with magazines. Yeah, yeah, web, yeah, web zines, uh, e-zines, whatever. The same shit. Great. To be able to, I mean, like of all the times we get into geek culture, this has got to be one of the best because you've got more avenues to access all this really good, you know, fun comic book kind of stuff. Um, and like I said, I'm I'm looking forward to the day that I get to have a kid and teach them all of uh, our fun geeky stuff that you and I love to geek out about and drive my wife nuts. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, it's gonna, it's gonna be fun, bro. It's gonna be fun. But like I said, we hope you guys enjoyed this episode, man. And uh, we're gonna go ahead and uh, wrap it up for this week. Uh, this has been dropping that culture with JD and AJ. I'm JD. I'm AJ. Catch you later. Peace. Dropping that culture. Dropping that culture. Dropping that coast. 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 Dropping that coast.